Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. And as usual, frothing, frothing for all of it. Uh, my guest today is a legend. Developed a bit of a man crush for this gentleman over the 2021 Supercross season, uh, Daniel Blair. He made his debut in the booth as the big dog uh, beside Ricky Carmichael this season, and he absolutely smashed it. Um, I kind of, I guess I've made my opinion known on it. Uh, I was super, super stoked uh, for Daniel, even though I don't really, well, I didn't know him before um, before this podcast. I just kind of reached out after, um, after his debut in the booth, and it was pretty rad to just see, I don't know, it felt like one of us made it. Um, podcast is really cool. I uh, didn't really get into Daniel's backstory too much. Um, we're definitely going to have to do another podcast. Uh, spoke a lot about the, the TV stuff, um, what that experience was like, and I guess how it come about. And just some of the, I guess, the challenges that, um, that Daniel faced. Like He actually almost resigned um, from the TV gig this year just because, uh, I guess, the, the business that he's got, uh, Eagle Grit, outside um, of the TV stuff was taken off and he kind of had a lot of stuff going down on that front. But um, he stuck through, made it work. Um, his wife was pretty instrumental in that process. And uh, at the end of the year, he got, I guess, the, the chance of a lifetime. So really, really, really rad story. Um, we also talked just a lot about the sport in general, um, some of the ideas for the future. Um, Daniel's got some amazing ideas for, for the sport going forward. So this was a great podcast. I really, really enjoyed it. And I cannot wait um, to get DB back on once again. Uh, before we get into it, though, just a quick word from the sponsors. Uh, we're brought to you by the guys at MX Store. You can head to mxstore.com.au. Uh, same day shipping if you order before 2 p.m. Uh, I'm literally about to post this podcast and then head straight to MX Store and pick up like an in, literally a shopping cart. My shopping cart is going to be as full as a shopping cart. Uh, got some sketchy COVID stuff going on, but the plan is still to get a Manjum up. So MX Store getting us dialed in for the trip to Manji. Once again, you can head to mxstore.com.au. Uh, if you can't visit the Burley showroom like we are lucky enough to be able to do, if you get your order in before 2 p.m. on a weekday, same day shipping, they're killing it. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Boost Mobile. And let me tell you what, Boost Mobile data is going to get absolutely pillaged. Uh, on our road trip. Uh, luckily enough, we are on the 240 gig uh, package that is uh, $300 that pretty much can last you the whole year. I, I pretty much run it for the whole year. I got one 
that is in my phone and then I've got another that is in a USB dongle. So I pretty much have data wherever I go. Um, if you want more information, you can head to boost.com.au and find out everything you need to know about switching to Australia's best prepaid service provider. Uh, we're also brought to you by Fist Handware. You can head to fisthandware.com, pump in the code Gypsy Gang, and that's going to get you 20% off. Uh, massive fan of the gloves. We are going to be doing a restock of the, the black and white, um, and I think the there's a bunch of excite bite excite bike ones left so i think you can head to gypsytails.com for that um but to to peep their chapter 15 just head to fisthandware.com are also brought to you by the guys at dixon flannels you know how much i love these things quality is insane um if you got three of these three or four of these bad boys you are set for life uh, you can head to dixon quality dot com dot au pump the code gypsy gang you get 15 percent off uh we're also brought to you by the guys at rival inc you can add a rival inc design co.com uh, they are absolute lords as people but they are also lords when it comes to the sticky game true innovators in this space and they are your one-stop shop for everything cosmetic for your bike and gear uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Crix Tweed. You can head to crickstweed.com.au if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle. I myself am quite partial to the Mitsubishi Triton um, and just found out that we're going to be hanging on to that bad boy for a bit longer. Um, so we might zhuzh it up a little bit, you know. We've had that thing for a year. It has been to many a moto track. It uh, also gets bogged. I found that out on the way to uh, Kyogre the other day. Uh, a bit of a stitch up that one. That was not the car's fault. That was purely driver error. Um, Crickstweed.com.au. Give him a buzz. Ask for Kyle. He's the man. Uh, also, subscribe to us on YouTube, please. I asked you nicely. Uh, don't make me ask you again. And you can peep all the, the nonsense where we cut out all the little clips. We do the clickbaity titles. You know what it is. Um, Gypsy Tales on YouTube. Uh, also give us a follow on the Instagram uh, at Gypsy Tales Podcast. Send me a message. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. This will not be the last time Daniel Blair is on this podcast. He killed it. He's an awesome dude. Like I said, got a man crush. Would have given him a kiss if I was there. Um, but yeah, thanks very much. Enjoy. Alright, sick. Daniel Blair, welcome to Gypsy Tales, mate. What's happening? How we doing? Just just uh, cruising along, man. Just trying to pump out some potties, give the people what they want. And the people want Daniel Blair. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on. And I uh, appreciate the message, too. Obviously, after Salt Lake 16 had a... A lot of people hit me up. You were one of them, and I appreciate that. Nice message. Thank you. Yeah, man. I was, um, I mean, obviously, you've been doing the, the floor stuff for a while, and I'm, like, I'm a fan of, of that, but it's hard to be a fan of that in the same capacity as someone that's, like, in the booth for the whole night, you know? Like, there's right. been some great insight that you've had um, doing the trackside stuff, and it's just it's on a whole different level when you when you're in there the whole show and you can really kind of steer the ship and you and Ricky were vibing off each other um really well and I think like there's a 
I don't know whether people understand it, and I mean, maybe people shouldn't understand it, but there's supposed to be like a color commentator that literally adds color to the broadcast. And then there's like your key uh, host, I guess, that drives the show. Um, and you you got to walk a line when you're that guy of being like too endemic um, and too, uh, I guess, like detailed for like the average guy. Um, so to get somebody like yourself in that's an expert into that role i think that's quite like a challenging role um and i think you did a really really good job i think you bought so much good stuff out of ricky um and then after speaking to you about it it was a real short notice deal too yeah it was it wasn't i guess i was prepared for if that ever happened but i wasn't prepared for it to happen if that makes sense you know i've worked really hard on the positions that i've had so it's like I, I was you know, well-versed in the storylines. I was working very hard. I, you know, I was in a rhythm, but at the same time, I wasn't ready for that specific role, which is something new. I had never done it that way before. You know, on Race Day Live, I'm the host. Like you said, there, there is two distinct roles, and I, I don't think everyone understands that I see some things sometimes where they're a little confused on the roles. But on Race Day Live, I was in a position where I'm like the host. It would be the play-by-play position, but with Dan Hubbard being in his first year and not being a racer, I was kind of the analyst color too. So we were kind of like both hybrid role guys, you know? So I was doing the responsibilities of a play-by-play, but I wasn't really living in that position where I, you know, I had to really separate and not be an analyst. And that's hard. I mean, I'm a racer. Like I've, I've been doing this since I was five years old. My brain naturally wants to do color commentary. I, I know the sport. I want to break it down. But I was in a role where I was like, you don't do that. And I was told that multiple times, like, Hey, don't forget what you're doing. You're not that guy. You're that guy. So, uh, it was challenging. It was fun, but I I felt like I was ready for it because I had done so many reps in just communicating. I just needed to really kind of laser in on the role itself. And that, I mean, it was, it was hard. (laughs) It was, it was a lot harder than it may have looked. I, I tried to make it look smooth, but dude, it was, it was, it was tough. That was like an intense three hours. I mean, I felt it after, like I felt exhausted because it was, dude, it was high pressure. Yeah, man. I, I cannot even imagine, uh, the amount of pressure that, that you would have been feeling. And, and so I, when I messaged you and I was like, dude, I'm so stoked for you. I'm so pumped. You absolutely killed it. That was me looking through the lens of, oh, he probably knew he was going to be doing this and he had time to prepare. And then to find out that it was just like essentially a fuck up and someone got double booked <laughs> and you had to get jumping. I was like, dude, no thanks, man. I don't know whether I would have wanted to work under those conditions. So talk about getting a chance and making good on the chance that you got. Yeah, and it, it, was, it was intense because it was up in the air for a while. So I kind of knew like there was a chance it was going to happen. Uh, and I mean, we can walk through the whole thing. It's pretty kind of a wild story. But yeah, dude, I'd love to hear Last month, yeah, I mean, so the, I guess we'll kind of work backwards a little bit. But that last month, it was up in the air. Like we knew that there was a scheduling issue. Um, Todd Harris was going to be in Bermuda. He was, again, double booked, but it wasn't, I think he was going to be able to do it remote at one point, but then he had to go there because his partner on the broadcast couldn't leave England for COVID reasons. So it's almost like a switch happened where he had to go something, something like that. And, um, so it was still up in the air until the actual, the last week when we were in Atlanta on the residency, I think it was maybe right before the Tuesday or I forget when it was, it was like, Hey, we need to talk. (laughs) Like it is going to happen now. So I had a week 
to get ready. And half of that week, I was still in Atlanta doing the responsibilities that I already had, which was race day live. Um, and then of course the floor, but then I was also kind of being moved around. I don't know if you noticed, some people noticed that there was some switching going on, um, at Atlanta three. And it was a way to kind of like get me warmed up with Bondo, get me warmed up with Ricky. So I was kind of like having to slowly transition over and then I get home and it was, yeah, it was a week to just, okay, separate. Don't be the other guys that you are, the multiple people that I have to be and just be that guy. And it was, again, it was intense, but it was it was weird because I, I told myself like, like you're good. Like just, just be yourself. You know, we have a TV coach. I'll get into that too. We have a, a guy named Tony Martinez who has coached us for a couple of years. And he always says, if you're ever having these nerves or what, just, re- just go back to rule number one, just be yourself and, and have character, just be you. So every time I'd get kind of nervous, I'd say, just be yourself, dude. You're fine. Like, you know what I mean? I, I think it's more pressuring when you're trying to be something you're not than being yeah. just who you are. So I had to keep reminding myself, like, just be you and you're going to be fine. While the other 20 hours of the day, I was thinking of every, neg- not negative, but every intense thought. Well, what if this happens? And what if I, so it, it was definitely intense, but it was also like, I kept going back to that. Just be you, dude. You're fine. Just be you. You're fine. And, um, but yeah, it was about a month. I'd say a month that I knew it was possible, but a week that it was actually like, okay, it's official. You're doing it. So pretty intense. Yeah, man. And uh, I I sort of made some comments about it on the podcast with Sleater, but my thought around it was like, oh, one of us got given a chance <laughs> in terms of like an industry guy because I don't, it's not like a dig at anybody. It's not like a negative thing, but there's not very often you'll see like somebody that starts within the industry you know on like the lower levels it's real easy to give a like an x racer a mic and make some comments or you know like a jeremy albrecht and get him talking around the pits like that stuff feels almost like a bit of a that that's like a box for fell to tick or like nbc or whatever in terms of the broadcast and then it's like okay but then we'll get like the real guys to do the real jobs but it was like one of our guys doing one of the real jobs and that to me is what felt quite special about it is you just don't see it that often and then the fact that you just fucking nailed it in my opinion uh first go knowing the backstory it just to me honestly it was one of the best stories of the of the supercross season just and maybe like to other people it doesn't look like that but i just think with my background of the media stuff for all the years of you know doing what i'm doing like i've been around a long time and i've really haven't seen something like that happen and i know the work that you would have put in to make it happen i mean wygant fuck his story is insane like a flagger to the voice (laughs) of the outdoors you know what i mean like he's maybe the last dude that really made that kind of leap into that real professional world and but i think you see with him like he's almost like being pigeonholed to the moto guy where it's like hey he could do nascar he could do formula like he could do anything and i feel like it you've got the same skill set so it's a real real grind to get into that corporate big company world i mean dude any dickhead like me can start a podcast (laughs) and you know you can get an audience but to go through the process and the the boxes that have to be ticked and the meetings and the the level of professionalism that you would have had to display over years and years and years to just be given this chance like it's it's just a bigger deal than i think most people would 
give it credit for <laughs> just like looking at the broadcast. You know, it's crazy. Is it? Well, we'll go full circle here. Here, so you. I mean, I'm gonna really back up what you just said because I know what you're saying. I, I'm like, I'm one of the guys, right? I'm a, I'm a racer. I was a privateer for 15 years. Like, I'm, I'm slept in the van outside of these stadiums for. 15 years man like i i wore lbz gear supercross i wore lbz gear and supercross i mean right like i'm one of the guys you know what i'm saying but to even make it more full circle um 1990 was the first year they ever had a 50 class at supercross remember now they have ktm juniors which is like the thing right all these kids do it 1990 was the very first time they ever did it at anaheim one remember the year bradshaw and chicken were going at it um, they were both oh, rookies. I was probably too young, but okay. But that, or like, to me, we, that we wouldn't when, have been able to watch it. That that would have been, for me. That's when like Supercross started for me as like yeah, from riding a dirt bike to being like a psycho passion, which it is now. And the reason why is because I was I raced that night on a fifty on the very first fifty race they ever had in Supercross ever, and I won that night. So that was nineteen ninety. So for me to start there do this whole amateur career all the way just do driving across the country a hundred times then be a privateer forever somehow like get in this tv gig in arena cross with this random call hey you want to audition seven years ago and then to land in there with the suit on sitting next to ricky carmichael my my idol my whole life it was it was the craziest full circle ever and when I was done that night, I was, again, I was exhausted physically, but I kind of was like the last guy to leave. I kind of left slow and I was just looking at the track and I'm like, dude, I, I started on this when I was eight as a kid, little racer kid. And now I'm like in the lead chair at a supercross again, just for one night, a fill in night, but damn, that's a, <laughs> that's a long road, especially again, I didn't really have all the ends my whole life. I was a privateer. It wasn't like I was an X factory guy and a star, like a champion, I was, dude, I was like in the pits living and sleeping in a van, like for majority of my pro career and for, to be in that stadium in that suit and be able to sit there with Ricky and like welcome everybody. I mean, dude, it was, it was like very emotional for me because it was a, yeah, like, I mean a 30 year ride and it was like, damn, you know, it it like hit and, uh, yeah. So (laughs) I'm one of the guys, dude, I'll tell you, I'm, I mean, I've been bleeding this stuff for 30 years. So it was, uh, it, it made that moment even that much more special. Oh yeah, man. It it just, yeah. For whatever reason, like it, it just wasn't that, that was not lost on me. Like I really got to, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I just felt great for you. Like it, I, I know what would have gone into it. I know how hard it would have been. I know the pressure. Um, obviously I've never experienced anything like that. So it's me imagining that pressure, but yeah, dude, it's just a, it's a life like that's a life's work that, that goes into, um, into a moment like that. Did you, did you get to enjoy it when you were, when you were doing it? Not really. (laughs) I mean, it was was, afterwards. It was, it was all amazing, but during it, I really didn't. Honestly, I, I had a lot of pressure on me more than I think they wanted to put on me because they, they told me, Hey, just, just have fun, you know, all, all the right things to say. But for me, it was a lot of pressure. I really cared. I wanted to do really, really well. I didn't want to just fill in and be like, Oh, that was cool. Like I wanted to be impactful while also being in a position where I'm not s- supposed to be the impactful one. Like you said, Ricky is the analyst. He's the, he's the star of the broadcast. He's the one that's going to bring this whole thing to life. I just got to get him there. So again, I'm, I'm balancing two things where like, 
I want to have an impact and really have everyone be like, wow, this guy, he relates, he sounds like, I wanted to connect while also having to be very, very tight and reserved and not overstep. So that, to me, that was where that real pressure came in was do your best, swing for the fences, but also don't, you know what I mean? And, and that's yeah. what made it so intense. So I didn't really get to enjoy it because I was constantly, re- I mean, dude, I had a little cheat sheet. It, all it was was reminders. And it was funny. And one was like, stay in your lane. Two was like, you know, keep the energy. I had all these like simple reminders and I had all these notes on all the riders because I prepared all week. Like I, you know, I wanted to be prepared. I didn't look at one. I only looked at my cheat sheet, which was stay in your lane. Like I had this little list of re- reminders that I had. And I just lived on that one page. I, I was scared to even look at another page because I thought I would forget about that page. So no, it was not fun at all. Zero fun until it was done. And then I was like, yeah, that was awesome. But in the moment, no, <laughs> not fun. Dude, it's so, uh, you're so right with that. I've found that if there's anything, I try and remind myself in the moment in situations like that. So my shit that's like that is, um, is organizing for big podcasts. Like anytime when I was in America, like shooting commercials and music videos and anytime that you had like a lot of fucking pressure and it's technically super cool. Like what I'm about to do is insanely cool. I'm about to shoot a music video with fucking 500 extras and I'm the director. That's super cool. Not fun at all in any capacity until it's over. And it was, is that, it was is that like cause that you just with, care, right? Cause you care yeah. so much. It's hard to have fun and be loose cause you care too much. And if you care that yeah. much, you like won't allow yourself to enjoy it, you know? Well, it's like, it's like standards, you know, like you've got this, you've got this standard that you've set for yourself and anything less than achieving that standard will completely crush your soul. So it's like, fuck fun. Let's just not get my soul crushed for three hours and then exactly we'll just reevaluate at the end. But I remember like, uh, like, uh, any of the big shoots that we used to do, like the big Red Bull shoots and stuff. Like the only time I enjoyed those shoots was on the plane ride home. And I was like... I'd always kick myself and be like, man, I just didn't enjoy that until now. Like next time I do a shoot, I really need to try and enjoy it. And it's like, fuck, it just never works, man. Never. Again, it just comes back to care. When you care that much, you don't want to like take your focus off of what's got to be done. And you know, when you're having a good time and you're fun, you get loose and you get maybe a little... I wouldn't say irresponsible, but you get a little forgetful because you're just kind of vibing. And I, I couldn't do that because I really, again, I had so many things that I needed to accomplish, you know, that I was trying to balance that there's no way I could let my focus off. And that, and that to me is yeah. what was so exhausting because I felt physically exhausted afterwards, but I think it was because I've never had my brain locked in for three hours and not let it slip for a minute. And, and again, those commercial breaks, I know all the fans watching, you're like, ah, the commercials are long. They weren't long to me, man. Those weren't long enough. Like I wish they were double so I could take a breath. I was just on to the next segment and on to the next and changes. And um, so I didn't even get to like really take a breath. And that, that's why, again, it wasn't fun because I didn't allow myself to like get in the moment because I just, I wanted to just stay on. And um, I felt like I did loosen up as it went along, but that was more just comfort. But it, it wasn't from taking the focus off. It was just more for like getting a rhythm. And once the rhythm was there, all yeah. of a sudden like, Everything started to be smoother in the commercials, out of the commercials. All of a sudden, it was like natural. Where the first, say, the 250 heat races, dude, I may, I may have held my breath the entire time. Like I don't remember even 
thinking anything other than what I was doing for probably 30 minutes. And it was like, damn, this needs to, we need to go. Like, let's get this thing over. I was almost like wanting it to just like get to the mains. Let's get done with this thing. Cause I'm, it was just intense. I've never had that kind of intensity for that long. Cause even on race day live, I mean, it's such a, that's a four hour show, but it's like, you know, we're chill. I mean, we're, it's casual, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's, it doesn't require that kind of focus. It's more like two guys talking and we're just, what are we seeing? And th- there's just, there's not that kind of pressure. And even like getting in a, and out of commercials, I do it on my time on race day live. It's like, they tell me it's time. And then I kind of walk, walk out. Yeah. But in the broadcast, you got Bondo all of a sudden after the interview, That's 10, the second. nine. Eight. So now I'm like, you can't just be loose with that. Cause if you go out early, you're going to look stupid. If you go out late, Bono's going to freak out on me. So it's like, and then as soon as we go to commercial break, I'm on the next page and I'm turning around and I'm getting new cards to read for IndyCar promo and all. And I, I, I kind of got mad at Ricky's a couple times cause he like grabbed some water. He got up and went to the bathroom once and I'm like, dude, must be nice, buddy. Must be nice over there because I'm like steering the ship. Just like don't crash the ship. And he's, but yeah, it, it was, again, it was a experience that I, I fully remember all of it, but in that moment it was, dude, it was just intensity the entire time. And I lucked out, I feel, cause I thought the racing was good that night. I mean, Shimoda yeah, wins his first race. Like, yeah. and, and to me, that was the easy part. The easy part for me was definitely gate goes down to checkered because again, I had to yeah. stay in my lane with the roll. But it was more nat. It was it was I was calling a dirt bike race, and that's dude. That's all I've been doing for thirty years. Even when I was a racer, I would be calling it in my head while I was racing. You know, so that was fine. But all the other stuff, and you know, even getting it down to to J Bone Will, that was new for me. And normally, I'm down there asking to get in. I'm not the one on the receiving end having to get down there. So it was a new responsibility. And you know, replays are coming. Bondo's telling me, okay, second look. So all those kind of things were definitely challenging and I think I made it smooth looking but it didn't feel that way in fact until I watched it back I, I didn't know if it was really that good or not because it felt scarier than it came across and when I watched it back I was like oh gotta lighten up buddy like that was that was okay you know I, but in the moment it was it didn't feel okay it felt everything felt rushed and notchy and and all that kind of stuff and maybe it, it probably still is compared to what I could be if I was more comfortable but I feel for the first one, like you said, I, it was good enough for me to be happy about. You know, I, I, don't have, I don't have any regrets. I made a couple mistakes. Don't regret them. Like, I look at that three hours of film and go, yeah, I did, I did it. I'm, I'm cool with that for my first one, you know. And Arena Cross wasn't that way. My first Arena Cross I did, I was furious after the first one. I, was just, I, just, it did, I didn't like it. I didn't like the way I sounded, how I talked. This one, I was, I was cool with. I was I was cool with the final product so it's funny so when you just said I didn't like how I sounded is there a tone in your voice that you can hear when you're like on yeah it's that it's like that mid-range you know what I mean and in fact I even listen back to the broadcast I felt like the big moments I could get better with my voice I didn't I didn't hate it but I didn't like it but that mid-tone that kind of like serious you know, when you're just calling the race action and it's not like a lull and it's not like a high, I, I, I feel like that's in my sweet spot because that's where I usually sit with everything that I do. Um, but then, yeah, my, my highs, my big finale finishes, I felt like my voice could be better. And that obviously I didn't know what I would sound like until I heard it back. So now I know and I know what to do to base up a little bit. I felt like I was a little little high end. I, the old, the old singer voice kind of comes out a little bit. So uh, add a, I'll add a little bass next time because those high moments I 
they were a little thin to me. That's just how I felt. So, yeah, dude. So the composure, the the cherry on the top was keep your hopes up high and your head down low. I was just, I was like, fuck, fuck off. It's too easy. It's too easy, dude. Dude, my, that was my favorite. That's my proudest part of the whole damn thing. And I almost forgot it. So the night before, my producer for my podcast, producer Joe one of my best friends, just creative Shout mind. Out. He's just, he's just the rat. He's just got this brain. He, well, he's an ex music producer. So he's just got this brain, right? So I was on the phone with him for like an hour the night before. And we're just like, what, how am I going to do this? Dude? And he's like, mm. so we had a couple little like strategies and I'll, I'll, I'll even let one out right now. It's, I, I don't, I feel like stupid for admitting it, but I, I played a little trick on the fans. Um, but late in the race, I wanted to get that lyric in because I've, I've lived by that lyric. I mean, I, I used it for Marvin. My plan was to hopefully use it for like Christian Craig because I'm thinking of his story. Um, but I live off that lyric. Keep your hopes up high and your head down low. You know, I'm, I'm an optimistic person. I work my ass off and that's that's a cool way of putting it, right? Hopes up high, head down low. So I wanted Hell to get yeah. that in there and I almost forgot. And then right, it was like, it was like lightning hit my head. It was like, dude, remember? And Marvin's like waving to the crowd and I'm like, Boom, hopes up high, head down low, day to remember. And because they're one of my favorite bands. And it was just, it was cheesy as hell. But whatever, dude. It was, I, I had to get it in there. And, and I love it because I told Dave Prater at Feld, I asked him if, you know, what he thought of that line. He's like, yeah, it was a really cool, you know, he didn't know it was coming from a band. He was like, yeah, I really yeah. like that. Like thinking it was like my like tagline. And I was like, it's not mine. I stole it from a band and he just laughed at me. But. I got it in there and the best part is is like I get a lot of DMs on Instagram after the race. Good job, good job. And there's always a few that are like, you cheese ball, that a day to remember line, that's what did it. So I knew some of you music people out there, you you were gonna catch it. So that was uh that was my personal proudest moment was to get that in there because I that was pre planned. I wanted that. Yeah, that was fucking beautiful. I just it's those those are like little details that are fun too. You know, like that's that's the yeah, I don't know. I, I love that kind of stuff, you know, when you can hear it. It's just context and, and a day to remember. They're as moto as it gets. I mean, I don't know how many times that a day to remember would have been played on the way to dirt bike tracks all over the globe. I've certainly been oh, one of those guys. And Perfect just, fit, right? Perfect fit. Oh, yeah. Just that, you know, that tiny little bit of context. It was great timing. And it's like it was, you know, a sentence that really explained a lot more you know which is what a good lyric is supposed to do and right. the right time the right words the right context and you've you just painted this whole picture and i mean i um we were watching the uh, were we doing supercross companion i don't know that we were actually but um i remember i mean i've i've been lucky enough to be on tours with the day to remember and you know really? watched, i've seen that yeah i've seen that song live so many times and it's just it, it brought back so much for me and i know there would have been so many other guys that you know brought back these like crazy memories and stuff for so yeah it was just that was like a bit of a chef's kiss it, it, it was and the, you said it, it had deeper meaning too because it was so relevant for marvin like him as an individual like that wouldn't have worked if cooper won that night it would have been like what the yeah, hell are you talking about 100%. It, it had to fit the guy so it fit him 
But then it like, again, it fit me too. I was saying that because I've lived off of that like my whole life and not even knowing that until I knew the band. I was like, that's why that song has always hit for me because it's like, God, this is explaining my life. Like just stay committed, stay optimistic. Don't stop. Just, and, and then just grind. Like the, those two ideas together is how I've lived my life. And then there's that lyric. It fit the guy. It fit me. Like everything I've been through in life. And it was just perfect, but it's not even as perfect as what happened next, which is the lead singer DM me and now follows me on Instagram. And it's like, I made it. I'm done. I don't even, I don't care no more. Like the, my favorite band's lead singer follows me because I dropped his lyric on national TV. So uh, all the cool stuff I just said, throw it all out. The, doesn't matter. The lead singer followed me on Instagram. I nailed it. That's all that matters. <laughs> and it's so funny it's like that's a drop the mic moment and you literally had a mic to drop <laughs> i did they would have been pissed though that's <laughs> expensive mic <laughs> should have done it though just dropped it right there we had more show to go i think we had another two minutes or so but yeah it was a um figuratively um or whatever it was a drop the mic not physical just a euphoric yeah yeah. yeah you're right <laughs> yeah Nah, man, it was, it was, yeah, it was super cool. Just that, yeah, that whole night. And it, I mean, it's really cool to hear your side of that. Um, cause there's just so much shit that goes into it, man. It's just so, it's so easy to watch a, a broadcast like that and not really understand the, you know, the context behind it. And it's not some random dude that got chucked in the booth. It's a lifer to this sport and someone that, you know, like your podcast you're so dedicated with and, you know, the racing and the media stuff that you've done for so long. Like it's a, there's a, a real life's work that, that went into, went into that one, uh, one night. And, you know, for me, it's like, fuck, here's a chance to like really celebrate that. You know, that's a great achievement within our sport. And, you know, it's not just the writers, you know, that, that should get their shine. Like there's a, there's a lot of people in the industry that have dedicated a lot of time and, um, and have given so much of their own, like just their lives to, to the sport. And yeah, it was, it was fucking cool, man. I'm so, so stoked to hear the story from you. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And it was, uh, I mean, something I, I won't forget. It was, it was, it was rad and it, it is a life, a lifetime of work and different chapters along the way that got me to that moment. You know, I mean, obviously my racing career played a big role because that's what helps me understand what I'm talking about. Again, I'm an analyst by nature. I can't help it. I raced my whole life. So there was that chapter. Um, I know we'll get into it. Probably the, the band where I was the lead singer in a band that had a couple different chapters, but that ability to perform in front of people. I mean, that was hard at first, you know, but I, I learned to get over that. And when you're on stage, like rocking out to a bunch of people, there's a wall you have to get over as far as comfort goes. So I was able to do that. Um, and then again, to get that start in arena cross, which is, uh, I, I, it was all voiced over stuff. It wasn't live. So I got a lot of reps at that first. It was like, there's all these different little chapters that I kind of went through that all gave me all the tools. And in my opinion, I know this is very like, this seems so silly, but it was, it gave me the tools for when I, that moment came and that chance came, I had every tool. I wasn't going up there. I mean, the only thing I didn't have was the experience in that actual seat. That was it. But everything else that I had done in my life at different times gave me what I needed to not choke, which I guess that was the ultimate goal, right? My ultimate goal was, yeah, be as good as you can, but definitely don't be bad. So I feel like all those chapters played a role and it really was a life, a lifetime of work. And it wasn't just the TV years, you know, the racing years were the most impactful because if it wasn't for those, I'm not even in the sport. 
Like, how does that, I mean, how does this all happen if I didn't race my entire life and go through all the struggles and, and, you know, all these different chapters that I had to go through, those gave me, it was almost like that was my college. And I even tell people that now they're like, yeah, your racing career was pretty good. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like it was my career. I feel like it was a really long, rough, shitty college. And now my TV is my career. So again, the TV stuff, it was seven years for that opportunity. But really, again, it was like 32, 33 years from that first day I ever rode a motorcycle to that moment that helped me build all the tools I needed to do it. So, I mean, again, and I think that's why it was so impactful, those those three hours, because it was like it was it was 30 something years of, you know, these this weird, long winding path that led me to that chance to sit in the in the big seat. And I mean, I'm again, I'm forever grateful for NBC and Feld to take a chance because they didn't have to do that. I mean, they. They needed to fill in the seat with somebody, but they were willing to give me a shot. They knew I wanted it. Um, you know, I was never aggressive about it. I never was like, give me my chance. It was more like, hey, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like a chance someday when the calendar works. So I'm just beyond grateful. This, this is my part in the interview where I do my sponsor thank, right? Like the writers do. Yeah, like yeah. The pit board. <laughs> but just, you know, Feld and NBC and Glenn Selig and all the people that had a role that allowed me to even have a chance to do this at all. Cause when you're ending your racing career, it's like the most terrifying thing in the whole world. And somehow I landed into this gig. I, I feel like it was luck. And, um, and then all these people like really helped make it happen and like open doors and Hey, let's do this now. Let's try that now. Boom. Here's your shot. And it's like, there's so many people that made it happen that didn't have to, but they, they were comfortable enough to let it happen. So, uh, I'm just very grateful for all those people that did that because, I mean, again, to, to be a dirt bike racer and not know what you're going to do with your life and then end up in that seat, it's just, it doesn't, it don't happen like that very often. And I'm just, I'm grateful for all the people that gave me the open doors when they gave them because they all came at really weird, unique times and uh, perfect times, to be honest, to kind of help me be, be prepared for that. Hey, I'm just going to fuck with something on the computer real quick. Um, two seconds. Just we got a little bit of lag Yeah, so um, Red Bull KTM is doing like their formal press conference for international media. So it's like a Zoom. I think it's a Zoom. It's it. I know me and Roger and Cooper. We're all going to be together, but then the media is on a Zoom. So it's it's a very kind of a scripted, weird little hour long press conference. Hey, you that? Yep. Yeah. Hey, Jacob, if you can hear me, that internet. It's just like got like a weird kind of lag. I don't know if there's anything you can do. On your end, internet-wise. It's a little bit better now. We'll we'll keep trying, rolling. Should be sweet. Um, Yeah, like, what what you just said about it, you know, being like that, that kind of life's work. I mean, what that says to me, like, I can relate to that. Like, the, the chair you're sitting in right now is about... Well, fuck, that's where I used to live, in America. And it's just like... I spent years there, dude, like pretty much sucking, you know, like I did some cool (laughs) shit and I, there was, there was a lot of really cool stuff that I did, but I never did what I thought I would do when I went there. And I mean, I'm sure that's probably how you feel about your racing career. You know, like you were there and you did it and it was like, you know, you, you gave it your best shot, but it's like, you're not Ricky Carmichael, you're Daniel Blair. Like you didn't win championships. You didn't 
get the the big rides and the multi-million dollar deals and you know that's sort of what it was like for me but then you fast forward a few years and it's like now there's this podcast that gets fucking millions of views and downloads a month and it's just like oh so i was doing an apprenticeship this whole time like yeah i was just eating shit for this payoff that i didn't know was on the horizon and it's only because i just kept working and working and working and working and working i just tried the whole time to be a good dude i tried to be nice to people i tried to improve myself even though things weren't working out the way that i thought they would and you end up moving back to australia like felt like my tails was between my legs kind of thing and you just keep fucking grinding it and it's like that lyric you know and you don't know what the future holds but like you said you get these opportunities and if you're not ready for these opportunities if you if you're not still doing the work if your attitude's not right then you are going to squander those opportunities when you get them. And, and what you went through speaks to the, the commitment that you should have just to life in general, just to doing your fucking best, man, because you just don't know when somebody's going to give you something huge. And if you have not been doing that work constantly and you haven't been on the grind, you're going to get this opportunity and you won't be ready. Or people are going to look at you and just know you're not ready and you don't get the opportunity. And it's funny you say that too, because that's kind of what's driven me in this TV chapter of my life is, I mean, I'll, I'll be straight up. Like regret is the worst feeling in the world. And I have a lot of it for my racing career. I feel like I cut corners. Um, I feel like I, just I gave what I thought would be just enough to get I don't I don't even know what I was thinking I just wasn't committed all the way I I, I thought things were just going to be given to me and I was kind of confused why they weren't and you know I had these little periods where I maybe worked harder than others but dude it wasn't all in there, there were so many distractions and so much and not entitlement but just kind of thinking like oh it'll I'll get my shot I'll get my thing and, and I did I mean I did in Supercross I got to ride for Geico Honda for six races and I mean, if I'm being honest, I floundered that. Like I, it, it, it didn't, it, it was the end of my career to be honest, because I got a shot and failed. So to be honest with you, like I've just had this crazy regret from the racing side. And then when I got this second chance to do TV and stay in the sport that I love. So it's not like I got a second chance to, to do something completely different. It was in the same vein. It was in the same sport, but now it was the communication media side of it. I really looked at this as like, dude, you screwed up the last one bad. And I, I'm physically beat up from it. I'm emotionally beat up from it. And now you have another shot. Like, do you going to do the same thing? Or are you going to like work triple hard what you ever did? Quadruple hard whatever you did. So I did. And, and I feel like honestly, without that long failed chapter for me with the racing, I probably don't do this chapter right. You know what I mean? It, I, it's like that failing then, 100%. and I'm sure it's the same with you. Your failures for a long time is probably why you're crushing now because you failed and that sucks and that don't feel good. So that's for me, it was the same thing. There was like this line in the sand where it was like, last career's done, you blew it. New career starting, do it different. And again, probably maturity. Um, for me, it was definitely the responsibility of having a kid. I, you know, I had my son and I had my daughter. So all of a sudden I got this like family that depends on me. And here I'm this like privateer racer, just looking around for fair races for 500. I mean, God, I was like guilty. So that was just like a turning point where all of a sudden it's like, do this different, like crush it from here on out. And even if this leads into 20 different things, which I did, I did so many different things for the last seven years. It's crazy. 
If you just work hard, those doors will open and then you'll land in the right spot at the right time. But don't ever go back to what you were because that, that dude sucked. I, that guy failed, you know? And, um, so that regret drove me over the last seven years to do things different. And even this year, like with TV, like I, I, I feel like I stepped it up in 2021 because I didn't think that what I was doing was like moving the needle for me. You know, I was doing okay. People are like, yeah, you do really good. You do really good. But I wanted more than that. So even this year I was like, dude, you're right in that same spot again. You think something's coming your way and you're not really fully committed, like double down. So that's, that's why even this, this year I felt like I took a, a like a, a big leap, um, just because I worked twice as hard this year because I was starting to feel like I was plateauing, which was making me feel like I felt when I raced. It was like those mm. icky feelings were coming back and I needed to do something either just fade out or like just step up. And, uh, I mean, I'm assuming you feel the same way. It's like the success you're feeling now, it's because you failed before. I mean, I, I don't, it's really hard to just come out and succeed right out of the gate without experiencing failure. So I, I don't know. Is that the same for you? Cause that's for me, that's what drives me is all the failure is what drives me. Oh man, for sure. And it's like, it's not even, um, like it's failure if you stop, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, for me, I just, fuck, I don't even know what it is. Like, I think on my end, I just have never wanted to accept a, a life that wasn't fully my own. And I think that that's probably like if you go very, very, very base level, that's what it is. Like there's some weird thing in my brain that's like when I wake up in the morning, the reality that I live in, that I experience daily, I want to be mine. Like I don't want it to be somebody else's reality so i think that's probably like the underlying thing but i think that i probably just spent like too much time thinking about it and not enough time and not just doing it doing it man <laughs> yeah. like and it's it's funny like I'll, I'll talk to friends now and they'll be like dude you didn't tell me that you had this happening you didn't say i was like i'm just trying to not be that fucking guy like i want to just be the dude that's super busy working and I what because I wasn't that like I, w- I had all these ideas and I was just constantly thinking about like I said that reality that I wanted to create for myself but it's like mm-hmm. at some point I just think I did it long enough like maybe I was a real slow learner like I'm a smart dude <laughs> but I was a slow learner if that makes sense and <laughs> it it's does. like now I just learned how to do the work and I mean I, I talk about it all the time on the podcast and you know people are probably sick of hearing it but for me like I started doing jiu-jitsu randomly and it was just like so fucking hard like insanely hard and then I I wanted to get really good at it and I just dude I'd never literally in my life I wanted to be a professional motocross rider right like that was my dream I didn't work hard at it and I look back at it now and I'm like I race my whole life I'm like you were so shit at riding because you didn't (laughs) fucking try like you 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 wanted something but you didn't actually want it and then for whatever reason like it was probably just because in jiu-jitsu like people literally fuck you up like i was just sick of going to this place and getting fucked up daily so i was like (laughs) i'm going in on this and i started studying like crazy i was training twice a day like i in in a space of was almost like six months changed my life i just went so insanely hard for six months and then I just it was like something clicked in my head of what real work actually was 
and I knew that I knew that when I was, for example, like we I filmed Donna partying with Wes and the the crew uh, in Tahoe, right? I'd just come off a of mm-hmm. kidney surgery. I had like all these fucking health problems. I had my phone tracker on me in like three days at altitude right after kidney surgery i walked 22 miles of with camera gear and the whole up it so it's not hard work wasn't the problem but i think it was just the time in between spent just like being really wasteful and just thinking about dumb shit all the time but yeah for whatever reason i I really think that i come home and then the jujitsu thing just taught me hard work and i could see the results of like really real serious work and then I was just like, fuck, maybe I need to like do this with the podcast. Maybe I need to do this. And now like I've sort of applied that same shit with motocross road on the weekend. That's like, I'm 32. That was the best I've ever rode a dirt bike in my whole life. And it's just, I think life is this constant like data acquisition. Like that's really yeah. what I think you should be doing in your life. You should be waking up in the morning getting your shit done and just learn 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 you got a sore shoulder you got tight muscles here you got like your back sore at work learn about that shit fix that shit like constantly and then the more you learn it's like this uh it's it's like it compounds on itself like the harder you go the quicker shit happens for you and i don't know i just i honestly kind of what you described man i just yeah i feel like i just clicked the fucking gear like i wanted to work hard i thought i was working hard but over time, it's like I just figured out I got enough data. I figured out how to work hard. And then it was, it, yeah, it was almost like a door you walk through. It takes a lot of work to fucking keep going down that road. But yeah. I don't know. It just feels like something different just kind of clicked. Do you do you think with the jujitsu, because that's something that you can't cheat and just get by. You know what I mean? And to actually get mm. better you're you it, you have to be pretty disciplined you know what i mean you can't halfway do it and then all of a sudden be great at it i think it's one of those things where you had to go all in just to even see those little improvements so it almost just trained your whole being to be different you know what i mean I, i'm wondering if that's what it was because you, you can't just like halfway slide through that you had to commit for there to be improvement and all of a sudden that shifted into everything you know what i mean it, it's like it takes one thing to kind of turn yeah. you and now you're going a new way and everything that way is different and that's for me, it was, again, that responsibility with my kids. For me, the guilt of yeah. being what I thought was a shitty dad, that that for me was like, er, turn the course. So I wonder with you if it was a jujitsu that forced you to be disciplined and not cut corners, and now all of a sudden you're the new you, and now everything gets the new you. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. And I think what it was as well is like when you see how bad you are the first day, and then you do hard work and then you're better that that was one thing like i actually have thought about that with motocross because motocross is a really slow process to get better i think i don't think there's a lot of um i don't think we're very smart about how we ride motocross and how we train motocross and that's been one of the most interesting things about this podcast and talking to different guys is like i feel like in in like a martial arts sense it's the whole thing is teaching like you have to go to a teacher in a dojo like we don't kind of have that like in moto you just sort of on your own you got your dad or whatever like there's not like a school and a structure um <laughs> go do and, two 30 yeah, minute so, motos of jujitsu and you'll just get better it's 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 constant teaching and learning right every second yeah and just like 
repetition, repetition. Yeah. And so I, I think one of the, the real eye-opening things through that, and I mean, I'm not saying that this is just through jiu-jitsu. I feel like you could get this through literally anything. But there's almost like this, um, you've got to prove something to yourself, I think. And I think I proved something to myself through that lane. And it was like, there was almost like this real direct input of, I put in X amount of effort, I get X amount of return. And I was just like, oh, well, this is fucking easy. I've just got to keep putting in X and I'll get X out. And then at some point, X will be enough to beat Y, if that makes sense. So like, I just saw that in my brain and I was like, oh, fuck. And then I thought, what about motocross? Like if I really did this with motocross, if I really tried to put in like very strategic effort and then it was the same in you know in work and honestly reading um there's some really cool books that i read too around like habit forming and and things like that um and i kind of got this idea in my head as well that you can only ever do as good as the worst process you have in your life so like whatever the thing is in your life that is like the shittest thing that you do if you're like ah yeah i kind of i do all these things good but i don't really i don't really look after my diet i don't really sleep that it's like okay well you're only as good as that you could do all Hmm. these other things great and they're going to level you up a bit but that thing you're only ever going to like that's your ceiling your shittest process in life that's your ceiling (laughs) so you're only actually as good as your floor your ceiling is actually your floor that's a hundred percent. That's a good way of thinking about it because I mean, you might be great at a bunch of things, but if you have something dragging you down, well, dude, that's, I mean, you got to get that stuff leveled up because otherwise that will, well, that'll drag down everything. Right. So that, I mean, that makes complete sense. If, if you have something that's dragging you down being an anchor in your life. And I've had chapters in my life where I had anchors that were holding me back from good things that were happening too. So I, I think there, I think you're right. There's something to that. And, um, but that's where that discipline comes in again. Like you said, you, you, if you're disciplined and you really work at something, you kind of eliminate all that shitty stuff. So that floor goes up a little bit. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, that makes total sense. How, how do you think about discipline now compared to when you were like racing and when discipline was, should have been like the focus of your life? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad because as a racer, I think discipline is the key to everything. It's being strict on your diet and your program and your riding and your nutrition. I mean, every aspect, these guys, you know how good these guys are now. If something is missing in any department, it gets exposed. And I feel like if you're not disciplined, a lot of things can just fall out of order really quickly. So for me racing, I, I was so hot and cold because there was no discipline. I'd have these nights where I was like, damn, like, okay. And then the next night would be just randomly shitty. And it's like, what's the problem? Well, it's the discipline. There was no consistency because there was no discipline. Where again, that shift into TV, I've become more disciplined. I, I, I try to go to bed at the exact same time the night before a race. I try to eat the same things because I know, I know this sounds crazy, but I know when my brain is operating better than when it's not. So I've like had to yeah. learn how to like be a professional athlete of a commentator to get that consistency. And that's one thing I'm really proud of in, in my years of doing this is I've been very consistent. You know, I, I don't ever feel like I have these crazy good nights, but I never have bad nights. It's always just like, really, really solid where in my racing career, it was just up and down and up and down. So for me, that all is the discipline, you know, and if you don't have any, then dude, you're just going to be hot and cold. And when all of a sudden one day you're feeling it awesome when you're not, not, it's just, you're going to be up and down where if you got that discipline every day, I, I feel like that window closes. 
if that makes any sense. And so for me, I, I think especially in TV too, if you're consistently good, you got you can do a good career here. You don't want to be the guy who crushes it on one Saturday and the next Saturday the guy can't even talk. You know what I mean? No one's, no one's going to take you serious. So I had to like be disciplined with this new chapter because that wasn't going to work like it did in racing where you can hold shot and win a moto and the next thing you know everyone thinks you're great when the night before you sucked. So I feel like you can get away with it in racing because your highs can kind of carry maybe who you are. You get on a roll two or three nights in a row, all of a sudden you're the man, everyone wants you, but then two or three nights you're bad, everyone thinks you suck. You know what I mean? Where in TV, I, you, you can't suck, like really ever. You can't have those bad ones. You, you can have good and great. You can't have bad. So you got to be pretty disciplined with your approach and your prep because if you don't, people see through it like really, really quick and you could screw up. And one big screw up, I mean, the, the, the wrong person, the right person, might be watching you that day and go, man, that guy sucks. So yeah. I, I feel like you can't blow it in what I'm doing now. And that comes from that discipline where in my racing career I had none like it's all over the place man good days bad yeah, days. yeah man uh, i feel you it's um yeah it's funny like because uh, how old are you 38 38 yeah so we're like i guess similar in in ages and you just yeah i mean i now like i look at a dude like cooper webb or you know like uh, adam cincerello or any of these guys like dude actually fucking uh, hayden deegan like to speak to him the other day it's like that's a kid that's 14 15 and just has that discipline gets up in the morning waters his supercross track before he starts his school you know does his motos and it's just like i i think we overcomplicate life a lot and it's like a kid like hayden deegan you know granted he's got a good family and he's got resources at his disposable at his disposal but like Here's a kid that just hasn't complicated his life. He just gets up and he does his shit. He's not really thinking about it too much. And I've got, I guess now, like, because what I used to, I guess how I used to look at people. So, you know, let's say when I wasn't in whatever mode this is now where discipline seems to come a lot easier. I used to look at that shit like it was unattainable. Like that was something you were born with. And I, I would look at these guys like, fuck they're incredible i could never do that like look at how they they've got this work ethic or you know even my brother so like my brother's like super naturally talented and you know you'd go on like a bicycle ride with him and i'd just be like man his legs must just be like different to mine like my mine just blow up and they get so sore and i just can't do it like that was the it was like i was mentally handicapped you know and uh and now <laughs> and he's just crushing it at, and you're like <laughs> yeah and now i look at people and i just see uh, what i see is legitimate discipline and hard work and none of that head noise no excuses no fucking bullshit they're just doing it yeah and i think it's also doing more than you think is enough you know what i mean like Mm. if you think you're working hard dude if you're not going to bed just done like i'm talking done and not every day because it's not it's not sustainable but if you're not putting it in the work to where you are wiped out multiple nights a week then I, I don't think you really even know your own potential you know what I mean like I think you can work hard and be okay but you got to commit fully and you, you bring up web and, and just supercross in general I feel like whichever guy ends up winning the championship is probably the guy who suffered the most for four months you know what I mean because yeah. he really really went above what you would consider to be 
the correct work ethic or the what's needed. It's the guy who goes a little extra. I mean, even Colt Nichols, I know you talked to him. He, dude, he went, he went crazy person because he felt like working hard wasn't enough. He had to work like yeah. a psycho. And then look what happened. All of a sudden, like the injuries go away, the results come in, he's a champion. I mean, you know what I mean? And I feel like if you think you're working hard, you probably are. But it's not enough if you really want something special. You've got to be a psycho and you have to you have to suffer. And I've I've said this term before, you have to embrace the suffer. You gotta like it. You gotta be like, yeah. this sucks so bad and I love it. And if you have that, dude, you could do things way bigger than you even think you are. Like again, for me, you go back seven years and tell me that I'm gonna be in the booth at Supercross. I would never that that would never even cross my mind as even an option in life. But I just started the the process of being a really hard worker, like a psycho hard worker again, because of that guilt with my kids being born and just feeling like a failure. I just started grinding like a crazy person towards everything. It wasn't even just TV. I mean, I've TV is four four months of my life. It's I, I got a whole rest of the year that I have a lot of things, and it's just going psycho and going to bed almost like in pain from suffering. There's like a satisfaction there, and then all of a sudden, boom. I own a business that's exploding. I My TV career just all of a sudden takes off. And again, it was from suffering. It wasn't from working hard and going to bed happy. It was working yeah. hard and going to bed like messed up, but but almost liking it because you know it's doing something. Like things are happening. You know, it's like churning yeah. and you know it. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, and things start happening. You're like, you can't even keep up with how fast things are happening yeah. good because you went crazy and you suffered. And again, so if there's anyone listening, if you want to be something even higher than your dreams, you got to learn to love to suffer. And if you do, dude, all of a sudden it hits and dude, life gets, life gets cool. Like all of a sudden overnight, pretty fast. And, um, it's like all those nights that sucked, all those suffering nights where you're miserable, kind of not that bad now that you're past it bad in the moment, but after it wasn't shit. You know what I mean? So worth it. Dude, I, I love it, man. And so what does that work look like for you? And how is your wife through all this? Because I feel like it's so fucking hard to do what you just described with a wife or a partner or a girlfriend that is not fully down with that. Because like I know for me, dude, like I work pretty much 24 hours a day that I'm not asleep. Dude, um, I mean, luck, uh, meeting the right person. I mean, you know, there's, they always say there's that one person out there for you. I don't know if that's true. There could be thousands of people out there for you, but to luck into finding someone that's like molded for you, I just got lucky. I mean, I was 18, she was 16 and immediately like we started dating and I think I went to Guatemala for like a month. Like I was like, Hey, I'm, well, I'm glad we're dating now, but, um, here, welcome to my life. I'm out of here for a month to go racing in Guatemala for, you know, a couple thousand dollars or whatever. That, that was just my life at that time. So it's almost like our relationship started out with us being apart and building a relationship where I was traveling and I was gone and she was home and we made it work. And she's very independent. I'm very independent. We love being together, but we're like, okay, apart. So having that from 18 years, I mean, dude, we're, we've been together for 20 years this year and I've been married for 16 years. So, I mean, I've been with this girl since we were kids. Um, That's wild. And she's just perfect. It is wild, dude. I mean, or I mean, again, this this June, like, 
God, in a couple of weeks. God, I'm glad I'm talking about it now. I remember to get her something. Uh, a couple of weeks <laughs> here will be 20 years that we've been together. So, so uh, yeah, and she's, she's I, th- I think, I wouldn't say inspired by how hard I work now, but she's appreciative of it. And I don't think she wants to like get in the way of that because she knows how much I suffered from the last chapter where I was cutting corners and just kind of boogering it, you know? So I think she's like, she knows that emotionally, this is the only way that I could even be happy is to be like this. And I think that makes her happy. And I think with when I'm happy, she's happy. When she's happy, I'm happy. And she knows that I, 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 I'm even gotten to the point now where like if life slows down too much, I get kind of depressed. Like I feel like I'm not doing anything. So I think she realized that for me to be on the go and grind and just come home exhausted, that makes me happy. Well, maybe it doesn't make me happy, but it doesn't make me sad. And I think she likes me that way yeah. better. So uh, she's a saint. She crushes it. I mean, even this year, the, the challenge I had this year outside of just TV, it was insane. I, I, I became the sole owner of my business, Eagle Grit, uh, on January 1st and took on the I don't, I mean, I don't even, I can't believe I made it, but I took on the challenge of a, of a two person business that we as partners needed help. We needed a third person. That's how big the company was getting. And then I purchased the company and then decided I was going to try to run it by myself with just my wife while also doing these residencies all year and trying to be better at TV. And it was the gnarliest thing ever. And she was the reason why it worked because she again is, she's down for that suffer. She knows that our life's turning around. We've had a really rough relationship. It's always been financial hardships all the way till the last couple of years. And, um, so I think she's almost like, okay, I get what you're doing. I'm, I'm down with that too. So we took this thing on, we did it together. We suffered. I mean, dude, there was nights this year where I, I mean, at, at times I didn't even think I was gonna be able to finish the season. It was so hard on her, hard on me. I'm in indie or wherever. And this business is exploding. I mean, we have a, it's a, it requires a lot of discipline to run our business and what, how we do it. And so I didn't even know if I was going to make through the whole season. She's ready to collapse. I'm ready to collapse. And then, you know, we finished the year and now we're good. And we're into like this late spring, early summer, things are settling down. We got our routine. I'm home. And it's like, we made it through, but like, I would have never made it without her. She, I think she even took this whole thing harder than I did. But that just goes back to your question. She's, the same girl I met at 16. She was down. She was, she loves me. She's like, whatever you want to do. She's never challenged me on really anything. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've tried different businesses. I've, I've done a lot of dumb shit. I've, I raced probably too long, had a lot of injuries and she just was just down with it. So it's, again, we're, we're starting as a, as a family now to, to get this success in life. And I think she's feeling it the same way me because she suffered in her own way. And, um, but yeah, I, I there's, there's no human being on the planet that I think could put up with what she did for the last 20 years and still be like stoked. And she is, it's like, it's very, I just, it's, that's another one where it's just luck. I don't, I mean, met the right girl on the right day. I, I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's just fate. She's, she's perfect for what I've needed in all the chapters, highs, lows, whatever. She's like the perfect counterbalance to everything that I've ever gone through. And yeah, again, like just, I mean, just gnarly gnarliest chick ever that's so sick man like when you're describing the way that you're working and the way that you had to put effort in through this season and i know that you've got your podcast and the business and like me i'm kind of i mean i've had that shit ruin relationships in the past where like people just didn't fucking get it i'm like and especially like dude 
I've only had money in my bank account since October last year. The podcast started in 2018. I'm not even joking, dude. Like, it is just, I mean, you know, it's literally just been like overdraft for years, zero money for years, making do with like literally nothing, building your studio, completely fucking broke. Like, it took five months to build one room for me to fucking sit in and do this thing. And like, if you don't have a person, that believes in you enough because essentially like when you don't have money in your account and you've got an idea and you've just like that's literally what you've got you have to have somebody buy into your idea and fully believe something that is only in your head and they've got to imagine it in their head but it's fucking a long shot different to the way that you see it playing out in your head and like you have to have that person just fully commit to to your idea and that's a really really hard thing to find and especially when the money fucking sucks dude you got no money coming in financial hardships and it's like dude at what point do you just get a fucking job and and (laughs) provide for your family and not you know what i mean like that's they're the questions that you you know you got to ask yourself and if you're asking yourself that you can damn sure bet that your partner's asking that shit. So to have a wife go through all of that with you is, um, yeah, it's inc- it's incredible. And to be with the chick for 20 years in this day and age as well is fucking incredible. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. And um, I, I again, I think it's one of those things where, I mean, you got I, I believe in fate. And it's just, I, I, again, I found the right person that totally fit. Um, and you talk about you have to find someone that goes along with your idea, whatever. Dude, I've had a lot of ideas is the problem. That's where she is so badass because I've had a lot of ideas and I've tried a lot of things and I've done, I've had a lot of silly things that I've tried and I've dumped, I've saved up our money and dumped it into a couple things that just (laughs) didn't work. And then I'm like, I got a new idea. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, I used to think either she is really loyal or really dumb because she just kept (laughs) going along with a lot of failure and just, again, I mean, I'm, 38 now and I would say financial security and whatever success we're probably within the last two years of it so we're talking like 17 18 years of just having faith that this guy's gonna figure it out someday and like be a good husband and then be a good dad and and um but that and but that I think again that belief that she had in me is what kind of made me feel guilty and why I had to level up like I I I, she was so down for all the mistakes and I'm like again I want to succeed for me but I have to succeed for her and our kids and that's when for me that's when that pivot happened and then you talk about you get a regular job I mean dude I I think that's what really kind of did it for me is I I had this like full mental breakdown in 2012 where I was like I mean I, I was again I had my second my daughter on the way my son was two I'm racing for 500 bucks at a fairgrounds race and I'm just like this guilt took over so I was like, okay, it's time to level up and just turn into a psychopath. It's the only way like I'm going to be able to do what I need to do for them straight up. And um, so I started taking on regular jobs while still racing. And then the TV stuff, even during the early years of TV, even to now, I mean, I do other things other than that. I, I have at least three to four things going on at all times, but that started with taking some regular jobs. I mean, 
dude, I got my class A license. I was, I drove for a trucking company and was doing bottom dumps, dude, building the Folsom dam. Like I, I did that for almost a year and that was hard. I had to study pass this test and I'm dude, I'm during the week I'm driving a big rig and then on weekends I'm racing arena cross. And so it, it wasn't one of those things where I was like, I'm going to quit all the things that I love. No, I'm just going to work a regular job too. I'm going to do both instead of relying on the dream. That's not working. I'm going to rely on the job and then still chase the dream, but chase it harder. And I think that's where the real change in me happened because from 2012 to this very minute, I've been wide open my entire, I don't, I don't take a day off. I mean, travel days is a day off. Like I sleep on the plane, I recover and then I'm back at it. But it started by taking a regular job and, you know, working for a construction company and then dumping all my money into a cab business. Me and my buddy started a cab business and we were driving cars and sleeping in cars in the Bay Area like all night because we had to be available on call because we didn't want to ruin our reputation on Yelp. So like, I mean, when my daughter was born, I literally was living in a, a little Civic sleeping in this uh, car because I was a cab driver for my business that I threw all my money in. Then that one didn't work out. And it's like, I tried all these different things, but I never stopped trying something. I was always doing something. And then all of a sudden it's like the path started straightening and it's like, dude, mm. Eagle Grit gets started and it's like, okay, this is going to work. The other things you tried, there was flawed. This is going to work. Okay, now all of a sudden your arena cross TV turns into race day live and on the floor. Okay, whoa, TV all of a sudden is like, this is kind of not a gig no more. It's kind of real. So all of a sudden all that shit started forming into like real stuff that had a real path. And then once I locked in on those, then it all started picking up, like you said, picking up steam. And all of a sudden the next thing you know, it's like both are exploding on my lap at the exact same time during the hardest year of my life. And everything nails at the same time. And it goes back to just suffering through those jobs, like the regular job and, you know, red eye flights to Chicago to do arena cross TV. Cause it was the only way my job would allow me to go and do this was to red eye there, do the show and fly right back. So much suffering and sacrifice, but it was the only way to turn the momentum that way. And then as you start going, things start coming more clear and you're like, okay, that's not working. That's not working that's working. Whoa, that's working. And all of a sudden you tighten up your life. And the next thing you know, is I have now two things, three with the podcast too. The podcast is more on autopilot. That's my actual fun in life. But with TV and Eagle grit, both are now on the, in the fast lane and they're going fast. And it was like all that silly stuff that happened before that I didn't really know what was happening, but that was like the bumps and bruises that turned it all around. And now it's, so it's, it's man, it takes, it takes that long. It really, does things don't happen fast unless you just unless you're lucky and i don't i don't believe in it that way if that makes sense yeah no i know yeah totally i think uh luck is just when you know like the right opportunity is met with i guess like the right skill set you know what i mean like good luck and bad luck are so they're so close together (laughs) you know what i mean like there's 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 like in you know that your breakout night on tv in that chair could be looked as like good luck but if you fucked it up that is terrible it was the worst thing that could have been the best or worst night of my entire life is that close i know what you're saying so that's why i don't believe in luck because one variable changes and that good luck could have been the worst luck of your life so i i'm with you i feel like it's mostly man-made and then yeah you get a couple breaks along the way but not everybody just gets lucky. I, I, I don't I don't believe in that and you can't rely on that for life, right? You're not gonna live your life thinking, I'll get yeah. lucky someday. 
You got to almost like force it to happen. And then all of a sudden some things happen the right way. And it's because you made them happen. You, you, it's like you brought that on yourself. You don't just want randomly one day. I mean, some do some win the lotto, some wake up and go and play a dollar. I mean, I just can't rely on that as like my way to live. You know, I can't rely on that one ticket. Uh, it's, it doesn't work that way for me. So, uh, I'm with you and I, and I, and I, I believe you feel that same way, right? Like it, it was a culmination of a lot of uh, things had to go the right way for it to really go right didn't just happen like it, for you I'm, I'm imagining it wasn't one episode that just boom gypsy tail no it was a lot of episodes it was a lot of hours it was a lot of that and then all of a sudden the steamroll picks up and then all of a sudden it, it spirals out of control in a good way I, th- I think that's yeah I think that's how it happens yeah and and I think that it would be the same for yeah most people's pursuits and have you um are you a big reader at all uh, not as much now. I mean, audibles, I, I live on audibles and it depends on mood podcast too. I like uh, certain podcasts. I'm really into the NFL. I love football. So I live, I listen to a lot of those, but audibles for business. Um, and then, yeah. um, some like life, like, uh, I don't know if you know, who Jordan Peterson is, but, um, yeah. I've listened to his books on audible. What I can understand of him. That dude is like a level above what I, I can't comprehend everything he says, but some of this self-reflect stuff I get out of him. So, uh, so I don't read, uh, but audibles would be the way I kind of consume, I guess, books. Yeah. So you should, uh, listen to Atomic Habits by James Clear. And, uh, he, he's got this, uh, it's just like a compound interest graph, right? So if you just get 1% better at something every single day, you've got this real slow curve and then it just does the fucking pretty much vert, vert ramp deal. And it's yep. literally based off the mathematical equation of compounding at 1% interest each day. And I read that book and it's so crazy, dude. Like my fucking iTunes numbers, uh, just that it's literally that graph. And if you look, like it followed it, it just followed it. Exactly the same dude, you know? And it's like the YouTube stuff's the same. And I'd say like, if you could, I just picture that graph now. Like that graph is my luck. Like I I look at yeah. if I start reading something, uh like if I start doing something like stretching for example, like I'm real big on like stretching and mobility. That I see that graph in my head. So I'm like, I don't know where I'm at exactly on that graph right now, but, but you're on the graph. <laughs> I'm getting better, you know, like I'm yeah. doing my 1% and at some day it's going to pop, you know. And so, like, I guess to go back to the luck, I definitely believe in luck, but I believe in it being good or bad is completely on you. Yeah, it is. And it's it's kind of the mode you live in, too. I mean, I know this goes back to that lyric, but when your hopes are high and you're optimistic, I feel like the luck will fall on your side more in the positive than the negative if you live that way, you know? And that that's a challenge, too. I have to imagine that you had chapters in your life where you probably weren't that optimistic. It was more pessimism that was uh, oh, kind of driving you, dude. right? I mean, right? Because it just, it compounds again, failure, 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 compounding. It's hard to believe. But if you do stay on that positive mindset, and I know it sounds cheesy. Oh, I got to stay positive. Dude, it's real, man. Like if you really yeah. stay optimistic and positive, things break your way a little bit more. And I think it's, I don't know what it all is. I don't, it's, to me, it's, it's more spiritual probably than anything, but if you live that way, things break your way a little bit more. And I still have, I still have things that I would consider bad luck. Like, ah, I got a bad deal on that or all that messed up. I, whatever that exists. You're not gonna live a perfect life, but more of the times than not, I think if you live that way, things will fall your way. 
And, um, and then when it happens once, it, like you said, compounds, then it's two, then it's four. Then all of a sudden things are just going your way all the time because you've just, you've almost created this momentum monster. You know what I mean? And that, but it all starts somewhere. That graph you talk about, there was a day one. Yeah. And, the, and, it, and you the, can't get to day 100 without is, day one. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and the thing is too, is I think that, um, so what you said is so right in my mind of you create this momentum and things get better and better and better. But then people are like, oh, well, something will come along and knock you off your perch. And it's like, well, yes and no. Like I broke my hip last year. Like it was fucked. But I look back at that now and I, it didn't kill my momentum at all. Like because in my head I'd, I'd had these wins. So the more you start to build that momentum, like yeah. you can get knocked back and you can get knocked down. It's so much different to be, to get knocked down after you've already won a bunch in your own, like, and I don't mean externally winning in terms of like money or whatever it is, but like if you've no, won at something, like yeah. if, if, if there's like something that's really fucking hard for you to do and you prove to yourself that you could do it then you then have that as like a point of reference every time. So like for me last year, I broke my hip and I was on the couch for weeks and weeks and I was like the iTunes numbers were going down and the, the momentum was going down. I just it didn't hit any panic buttons. I just did a bunch of reading about rehab. I read a bunch of books that I like, that was a crazy thing for the my book list last year. Like I read so much during that time and really great books and all of a sudden, you look back, you're like, oh, wow. So my hip mobility is actually way better after I broke my hip because like I forced myself to focus on it. I learned more shit about it. And then it was like, now the, you know, I read all these different books, which led to this, which led to that. So something that in a, in a previous time in my life, I feel like that really would have fucked with me. Like, oh man, I can't believe I broke my hip. I can't do this. I can't do that. Even... I think as you gather momentum in your life in a positive direction, you can just take those bigger hits, man, and you can take them in your stride and you can constantly refer back to the wins that you had. It's not, you know, like those negatives in your life. They're not, they're not taking you back to this negative place where you can't overcome them. You're like, dude, I fucking overcome shit every day. Like this is just, it is what it is. And when you do, then you realize that you can and then the next one is a little easier. So yeah. instead of it being a wall that you hit, you just start hitting speed bumps and we can all plow through speed bumps, man. Like I feel like life is speed bumps, right? I mean, there's nobody's living, just coasting and cruising above it all. Everyone's going through their <laughs> own battles. And if you can just turn them into speed bumps and not stop signs, then you're fine. But again, but I think that's the, it's all, that's the mindset too. And I, you mentioned you getting hurt and having a lot of time to read and reflect. You know, I had a chapter of my life that was like, that was the end of my racing into the TV in 2015 I broke my femur, the second femur, and I was laid up Fuck. and I, it was like a reset. It was like, honestly, a re, it was a full reset for me. I, I, there was no momentum at that time. It was just, I was just grinding and nothing was happening really. But I used that time where I was laid up for three months to kind of almost reset my life a little bit. And I did, which is so weird because I did the weirdest thing ever. I'm going to blow your mind right now when you hear what I did. But this, what I did, I think almost was like way of turning the page for me even into my TV career and understanding my future responsibilities and roles and, and the way to do this gig. But I'm laid up for three months. 
forever I had had these movie ideas in my head, like these scripts that I wanted to write, but I knew nothing about writing a movie script at all. But I just like, I love movies. I love storytelling. And I wanted to, I had these ideas for these funny movies I wanted to write. And my producer from my podcast, producer Joe, he had a history and he had done that before he'd written scripts. So I was like, dude, can we do these together? Like I got three months, bro. I've, I'm laying here for three months. I have nothing to do. And dude, we knocked out five scripts and I mean, I read no multiple books. Uh, oh yeah. And dude, I mean, we won content Well, we didn't win, but we got to semifinals and some contests for script writing. I actually had a chance to go into Pixar and it's a long story that I don't want to get into, but I had an oppor- almost an opportunity to pitch something to Pixar, a uh, kid's movie that I, a script that I wrote. And, um, but we did these scripts and it really taught me how to story tell and like arcs and character arcs. And it's almost like yeah. I, I understood the art of movie making and how to like draw a human being in and take them on a ride. And these books were like really good because I had to go back to them and refer to them and highlight things. Like I was, I was dedicated, not thinking it was going to go anywhere, but I was just into it. But that kind of taught me like this art of storytelling, which then all of a sudden the next thing you know, I'm on TV and I have the opportunity to kind of like start steering stories a little bit. You know what I mean? That's kind of the art of the play by play position. You're, you're driving the story so you kind of can take the audience on these roller coaster rides and you do it subliminally so they don't really understand that you're doing it, but you're doing it. And I learned that during that period because I had that broken time to just do something brand new. And dude, we wrote a, a couple comedies, a thriller, um, a, a biography about our band, which is we exaggerated the shit out of everything in the, in the script. It That's was, so the good. The script was way gnarlier than what we really did, but it was cool. Um, and we did all that and it like taught me something that I ended up using later, which was in TV, but it took a moment like that to really learn something brand new that all of a sudden became impactful, like a couple years later. And it was weird how that all worked. And like you said, the same thing, reading and learning all about rehab. Yes, of course, I'm guessing that helped you with your rehab, but you probably planted some seeds that are now coming to fruition just because you had a chance to separate everything out of your life and focus on one thing and just get gnarly at it. Next thing you know is you take those things and all of a sudden they have impact. And that was what kind of happened for me was again, I'd be my buddy writing movie scripts and now I'm in a position where I'm on television where the art of doing the job correctly is telling the story correctly and the way it needs to be told. I mean, you could start the races at seven o'clock and end it at 10 and you can call it a hundred different ways. It's they're racing. And of course you're going to call the action, but you can steer the story a hundred different ways. And if you can get really good at that and understand what the audience wants and how to take them on a ride, dude, that three hours can be like a movie every single race. It's, it's a live action movie, but you can steer the story. And um, I, again, I think that's helping me with this role because instead of being reactive to what's on screen, I'm a little bit more proactive where, yes, I'm going to call what's happening, but I'm going to steer it in a way and the storylines a certain way and say the right things at the right time to make you attach yourself to a writer, attach yourself to a moment because it happens at certain times. And if you tell it the right way, it's impactful. So even like I hinted earlier, something that I did that I barely want to admit, but my producer, again, this is my, my screenwriting buddy here. He told me come out in the broadcast and right away, he's like, you got, there's this, there's this book called save the cat. And the book is all about this moment in every movie where the, the main character, like you, you just, you like him. Like he does something very subliminal, but all of a sudden you're like, you're on for the ride with this guy. It's called the save the cat moment. And he's like, we, you need one of those on the broadcast. You need one of those. 
So we're thinking about it. And um, I ended up doing it in, in a very seducive kind of way. This is so cheesy. I'm saying it. But when the first heat race was lined up, the first thing I said to Ricky was, man, I don't know about you, but I still feel the goosebumps when that 30 second board goes up. I still get, and he's like, oh yeah, me too. And I did that for two reasons because I wanted the audience to know like, look, I am real. I'm not just like in this position to do this position. Like I feel this, I, I did this. I am, I really do feel it. I wanted them to know that, but I wanted the audience to feel it too. So before the gate dropped in the first race, the audience is like, Ooh, like, you know, like they get that feeling too, that nerve, that those butterflies, I want them to feel that early. That way they were along for the ride. And then from that point on, I felt like everything was like just steering in and out of these stories. But I knew that early I had to like get the audience to like feel this race, not just sit down and watch it, you know, with the beer and whatever. No, I want them to feel it. And I felt like if I got Ricky, me, me too. But if I got Ricky to be like, oh yeah, man, I still feel that. I still get those goosebumps they would realize that two racers are about to like bring this thing to life for you and you're in it too because I said those those words, you know, and I felt like it did. And even producer Joe, when he watched it back, he's like, dude, I knew it was coming. I knew you were going to do that. We talked about it. He's like, and when you did it, I just moved up in my seat a little bit. Like it's, he said he felt it because it, it sucked him in. So um, it's, it's crazy how that works, how some silly little chapter in life where you're writing scripts with your femur up and you're on, I mean, I was, I'll be honest, I was on heavy pain pills when I was writing these scripts, man. I went through, like, <laughs> these were, these were loose, but that moment right there when I'm recovering from the worst injury of my life, something from that ended up being so powerful later and had nothing to do with what I was doing, but I had that period of life where I was thinking outside of the box. And again, sometimes Life goes fast and you don't get a chance to do that. But if you get hurt, you break your hip, you break your femur and you're screwed. That could be the best thing that ever happened to you. It could be the best thing that ever happened to you because you have a chance now to block everything else out, learn something brand new. And then all of a sudden, dude, five, six, seven years later, boom, it becomes super meaningful in the most important moment of your life. So that's why you can't Uh, get hurt and think it's a bad thing. I mean, when I was laying there, I even was like, this is going to be good for some reason. I don't know why this hurts really bad. This sucks, but this is going to be good. And I don't know why just yet. And boom, it ends up turning out to be one of the most important things and most impactful little periods of my life that come out almost a decade later. It's crazy. Dude. I just love how much you give a fuck. (laughs) It's exhausting. I really do care so a lot about though, this. <laughs> it is exhausting though, because I, I hit everything pretty hard, pretty passionately, and but then that's what's working. You know what I mean? So, but it is a uh, it's I go to bed really tired <laughs> every night. Yeah, man. There's uh, it's it's funny. I eh? like uh, yeah. I I just can relate to the seriousness in which you approach it because. There's just like, and to me, sometimes this is like a character flaw and it was probably something I was insecure about in the past is like, you, you, there's no conversation with me that's like surface level. It just is what it is. And I've tried to be, you know, that guy and I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool. This is like, whatever. It ain't me. Like I just, for whatever reason, I'm just not that guy. And I just fucking see the same thing in you. Just like a super serious dude. If you're going to fucking do something, do it seriously. Like have serious conversations, make it meaningful. I, I just love that shit. Let me, let me ask you if you have this same issue. Cause I, I, and I don't know when this happened, but it definitely is 
how I live life now, but you've heard of the, the term layered thinking, right? Like yeah. if I was to say to you, you know, when I say the color yellow, like, what do you think of first? And for me, it'd be a, 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 a school bus. Okay. Think of a yeah. school bus. What do you think of? Um, I remember being in third grade, going to school. Okay. Third grade, going to school. What do you remember? I remember playing kickball. You see how like yellow turned into kickball at school. Like my yeah. brain kind of works that way all the time. And I, I have a hard time too having surface level conversations because I always am thinking like a layer deeper and I don't know what that is. But it, it, it is exhausting, but it also helps because I think it, it helps with creativity. And obviously, I'm in a position now where that matters. you got to be creative as a commentator. You can't just say what you got. You don't just say the words. you got to be creative. You, what you do, you, you talk to different people every couple of days. You have to be creative in your approach, who you're talking to. And I feel like if you're just surface level, you, you can't succeed in certain things. And when it comes to that creativity, I feel like if you're not living in layered thinking, you're, you're, you're just never going to be able to be creative enough, I guess. Do you kind of have those same feelings where you look at something and you end up two or three layers deep within like 10 seconds? Oh, dude, I feel like I have the fucking weirdest brain and people around me know (laughs) that I'm a super fucking weird person. And like, yeah, I just, (laughs) I mean, I couldn't even give you examples of it, but I see like, I even think about like, uh, the angle that something's on and i try and like just think a bit like i just think about weird things like even opening doors or locks or, i don't know i just have like a weird deep thoughts about pretty much fucking everything and it gets i'm fine with it but it gets exhausting for people for people around me and i just feel like the weirdest fucking dude <laughs> most uh, of the I, time but there's Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, my my wife, well, my wife and I is the same thing. She tells me that I exhaust her because she'll tell me something and then I take it somewhere. And she's like, you know, I didn't really need you to take it anywhere. I just wanted to talk to you and just say some things. And you got to take it to like the like the deepest, weirdest. Like she's like, can you just listen every once in a while and like let me just say things without having to go to some place with it? So I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. It's exhausting to live it. But I think it's more exhausting for like the people around you because they're like, just chill, bro. And I, I don't know about you, but I can't. It's like it just works that way. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think what helps is an outlet. You got to have a place to put it like because right. we're not we're not in control of our thoughts. Like the thought I, I definitely have. I mean, it was a bigger part of a bigger conversation, but I definitely have kind of spent enough time looking at certain things to know that like my thoughts aren't mine i don't know what i'm about to say next i'm not i'm not writing my sentences a couple of words ahead of time and then i have this buffer before it where i can check it is what it is and i think that as soon as i i like kind of accepted that that's the way that this shit works i'm just like all right cool just run with it it. but now it's like (laughs) i've just got specific outlets to put that kind of energy and it's like oh you have these fucking super deep conversations you should probably just do that for a living and you know like then you've got the the weird thinking sort of stuff like that seems to work good for jiu-jitsu or that seems to work good for motocross or like you just try and put it in those boxes and i feel like for you you're a person that obviously needs that outlet like you started a band and you know the tv stuff the podcast stuff like so i think that when you're that kind of person, you just kind of have to find an outlet because it's going to come out at some point. Yeah, you better find a, a 
productive way to use it. Otherwise you're just going to drive everybody nuts. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? You got to find where that personality will work. Cause if you don't find a way to do it, that everyone around you is going to be like, dude, you need to chill. So it, it, I think you're right. There's like the creative outlets I think is what it is. And like for me, even like it, it's, it comes back to being a little bit of a performer. You know, when I was a little kid, I was like, the, the funny kid at Christmas that was always the funny performer kid in the family. Um, you know, I did, I, I sang like in third grade or fourth grade, there was like this school play. I was the one who sang, um, in high school I did competitive speech and debate. Like I needed these outlets to like speak and perform and yeah. communicate. I've always been that way. And again, you just got to find like where that works that won't drive people nuts. So podcasting, singing, television, communicate all those kind of things it's like I, I my personality landed where it needed to go and that's again why I look yeah. back and think racing was more of like a college for me racing I, I don't think I had the DNA and the right traits to be a successful yeah. racer past what I was like I, I don't I don't have like Cooper Webb winning that last round when all I had to do was get 18th like I don't have yeah. that I would have never yeah. done that like what I, I, yeah. I can't believe like I would have got 18th bro I would have I would have been on 17th on the last lap and let one by like that's what I would have done because that's how I'm wired and that's why I didn't go far enough in racing I didn't have that I was wired to for this so racing for me was just a rough it was rough education to learn the sport that I love and I've I mean I obviously love it I'm obsessed like this sport beat me up and I just kept coming back to it so um, it's finding that outlet of where your personality is meant to be and I mean, everybody has got their own style and personality and they're meant to be some, some are just business, man. They're just, I mean, you've probably met people that are just the baddest business dudes ever. They're wired to yeah. be just successful businessmen. Probably can't do a lot of other things, but that's them. And I think when you do find your thing with that hard work, that's when things start happening because you truly like just get to be you, like you on this podcast, like you get to be you. I mean, how cool is it get to be that you do a job where you get to be you? You know what I mean? And mm. and again, you say you're weird and you're different. Well, that freaking works for this. And you found it. So again, I think it all comes back to finding where you're wired and where you're meant to be. And sometimes people are stubbornly chasing things they're not meant to be. For me, it was racing for 15 years. I mean, dude, I should have known right away. Like, this isn't going to work out. Um, yeah, so what is that? It. What is that? Why, why do we fucking do it? Why do we keep doing it to ourselves? I think as we're interested in things, you know, I mean, like you're, you're interested in something that you really like. So you want to do that and maybe you're not meant for it, but you just do it cause you'd like it. Like, I mean, for me, again, I, I always like, I kept going back to racing cause I wanted to go back to racing cause I loved it and I wanted to be good at it, but I, I just wasn't wired. I didn't have the personality that, that allowed me to do all the things needed to be good at it, but I wanted to, but I wasn't. And it takes a long bumpy physical but do you really road and, think and that you <laughs> wanted it if you didn't get it no and, and you know what I, I think I did want it on a surface level like I wanted yeah. to be successful as a racer on a surface level but I wanted it to happen for me too I didn't want to go and suffer through the suffering for that so I don't know maybe I didn't I mean maybe I think I did but if you're not willing to suffer then how much do you really want it and honestly I never was upset when I would lose you hear those riders that always say yeah winning's great but I just hate losing I never really had that. You know what I mean? So, so, and that makes me wonder if I really did want it the whole time or if I wanted the idea of it, maybe. Maybe I wanted the idea I, of being a Supercross star, but I didn't really want to do what it took. So I don't know if I really did want it. 
you know? Well, that's that's the thing that um and and this is like if there's a if there's a way that the podcast can like influence change in people, I honestly believe like the thing that living in America and struggling the way that I did there the thing that that taught me was that you you get what you want in life right i wanted to come home and be fucking broke that's what i want that's what i got i got what i i got what i wanted i was i had dreams of writing movie scripts and being a director and do, doing that whole thing i fucking lived on sunset boulevard in hollywood didn't have one meeting with the fucking you know what i mean I banged a bunch of chicks. I fucking went out. I was friends with a bunch of cool people. Like, I did a bunch of cool shit. None of those things was write a fucking movie script or do anything that I would have told you I wanted. So, like, on the surface, I did want those things. And I wanted them for probably the wrong reasons, you know? And then now I look back and I'm like, oh, I... I want this. Like, I love this podcast. I love doing this. This is a fucking great job. I want to be here every day. I stay up like retarded hours at, at night and I put in crazy work. I do just the most like dumb fucking work. And like, I probably spend six hours some days on thumbnails. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I want that shit. And it's like, what? I think you get what you want in life. If you if you're overweight, you want to be that. If you're unfit, you want to be that. If you've got a shit job, you want that. Like you get what you want in this life. You want to be a TV broadcaster. Yeah, and then and that commitment was obviously different than it was in other chapters because I really do want yeah. that. I I mean I I want this. And that's why I've made those sacrifices and again i'm assuming when you're again you're in hollywood and you're doing your thing you're wanting one thing but you're definitely living all the other things it's like you're living all the rewards but not actually doing I was the living main thing. like i already so, had it like you had okay so so you were being satisfied in a way part of you was like okay i'm not really getting it but i'm kind of getting it i'm kind of living the life so you're kind of like satisfying yourself a little bit and that's where i think it's different for you now. You're not just going to like live half of it and expect it to all happen on its own. Same with t- with TV. It's like, no, I, I, I got to go all the way in. I'm not going to pretend to live. Even, even that night, that night in the booth, play by play, biggest moment of my life, like everything I work for. When I got done, I went back to the hotel by myself, called my wife, went to bed. I didn't party. Yeah. I didn't celebrate. I didn't look at me, <laughs> glow. La, la. No, it was like, because I want more now. I don't, that was cool, but I ain't celebrating because then it's over. Like I want that. That's just a chapter. I want more. And I think that's, again, I'm not trying to live off of what I got to do that night because that was just one night. I want more now. And then I want more then. And I don't, I don't know if it's just, the, like I said, the machine's going now, but I don't know if I, I can be satisfied with anything ever again. I don't know if I could ever be like, I'm satisfied. I want to reap the rewards yeah. of this. Like I almost feel like I'm almost in this like mode now where, I think I might just suffer all the way out, like to the end. Yeah. I'll do whatever I'm going to do next, I'm going to do it next to I'm going to do it next. I'm going to do it. Next, and then eventually I'll die. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like the ball's rolling too gnarly to ever slow it down, if that makes sense. Oh, no, 100%. And, you know, like to, to put it back to racing terms, like Cooper Webb wanted to win that championship. Like there was one moment. Who did I speak about this? I mentioned this with somebody, but it was at... Uh, 
uh, I can't remember which Atlanta it was. It was where Kenny crashed in the whoops. He had the huge lead. But there was like one lap to go. And you know how you had that funky like left-hand turn, double right-hand turn? Yep, yep. So Coop got in front of Kenny and he had a decent enough gap like it was it was he could have rolled that jump it was pretty beat up that was you know 20 minutes into main on that gnarly track and he didn't have to roll that double it was getting sketchy that motherfucker pulled the trigger he wanted it yeah he got what he wanted it's just you can see it in tiny moments yeah but doesn't that inspire you and if you're listening to this does that inspire you like to see that like cooper webb again had the title wrapped up at that final round and he went out and won like he took all the risk he fought he he did it's just it's incredible what you can do when you want something and for him to have that mentality for me when i got done watching that i was inspired because i was like this guy already has it he's got the title he did it he did all that work he got it and it wasn't enough he wanted to win the last one too just i my opinion i think he wanted to just stick it to everybody i think he's just that way but that's inspiring it's like the guy already has it the the, the bonus check yeah. they're writing it out they're writing that check out he's got the title and nah i'm gonna go win i'm gonna go stick it to everybody one more time and for me again that that's not my that wasn't my race dna but that motivates me yeah in my now career like man i want to be like, like cooper webb a dirt bike racer who's 10 years younger than me and i don't race no more is inspiring me in a different way because he just he's relentless and that's why he's the baddest dude in the world right now and it's because of that reason right there and i don't know about you does that inspire you to like not let up like i don't want to hit the brakes i want to shift another gear even though it's going oh, well man, for it's sure. not enough now well you know? yeah and it's like the i think that the people that really have the why so like to come back to what i was talking about like when i was living in hollywood like i was on like borrowed time essentially it's like when you do Mm -hmm. cocaine you're borrowing that from somewhere (laughs) like you're getting high as fuck and it feels great that's not that's not coming from you like you're borrowing that from the future there's a future you (laughs) that's gonna pay for what you're doing in that moment way i've I've ever heard that put that you're borrowing because the future is going to be rough. So you're stealing yeah. from the future. That's, that's an incredible way to put it. <laughs> so, but that's like what I was doing in America. Like I had a sick fucking life, but I was like borrowing from my future self. Like I was creating yep. those kind of problems. And I think that that then as I re- reflect and I, I analyze that now in my own life, I was like, you wanted to live like this future you that didn't exist and it's Mm -hmm. like what you the you that you are in the moment is the thing that creates that future you so it's like i'm trying to live like this future me that doesn't even exist i was trying to live like this guy that and it's like yeah you can fake it for a little bit and it's like the guys and i think to what you just said about coop winning that last race he's working on the future him constantly yeah like he's not borrowing anything from future cooper web like he's writing future cooper web and then every day mm. like you see that you see the future cooper web like you see the work from yesterday and the work at no point is it gonna like catch up to him like he's not borrowing anything from the from the future he's like it's like uh you either I feel like you're either borrowing from the future you or you're investing in the future you. 
Yeah. And I feel like, you know, when you, when you really want something like legitimately want something, you're investing in the future. You, you're not going to borrow from that dude. Like it's, it's, you should, you should want to borrow from your future self as little as possible. Okay. So with Webb then winning that final round, I mean, you talk about that investment. I think he was investing in the future by sending one final message to the competition for the future. Like think about if you're Cooper, the last thing you want to do is let Chase Sexton win that last yeah. round and invest in his future. You know what I mean? He, if he gets that win, yeah. ooh, that's powerful for next year. But for Cooper to not only get that win and take it away, that's powerful too. That, so you're right. Instead of just cruising it in and all of a sudden like, you know, you, you, what you're doing on that night might reflect the future. Go and win because not only Big are you time. investing in your 2022 championship defense, you're also given one final message sent to Kenny, Marvin, who was right behind him, and then Chase, who passed him and left him. It was like he gave him one final message. Hey, it's, I'm not going to let you invest in your future tonight. I'm investing in my future tonight. Yeah. So, I, dude, you're dead on with that. that. That was more about the future than it was that night. Yep, financially, it's that night. You get that bonus check. That's great. You get to feel good about yourself. Yep. But that win right there, I think, probably did more mental damage to the competition than it even did for him. Because he went out when he didn't have to and beat them all. It's like, I would hate to have to race that guy knowing that he's that way, that he's wired that way. So I think you're right. That was, oh, in, yeah. that was an investment into 2022. That's, that's what that was. And, and it's relentless, bro. Like, I mean, there's stuff I won't speak on in like the Cooper camp, but you know that there, I'm, I'm assuming you know that there's like a bunch of behind the scenes stuff going on there as well. Like that yeah. fucking final, that final win on that last round when you don't have to like he's he's operating on so many levels right now like not even the the future you know the competition like that's a great point about sexton like if sexton wins that last round guess who's got a bunch of big dick energy coming into wherever the fuck we end up yep. racing round one next year yep. but it's like on the on his personal stuff like all the personal stuff that he's got going on you can find a way to like dig deep when you don't have to so that you've got leverage and you've got like it's just relentless man like for him to go if you know all the factors that are at play for him to go and win that last race you're just like what a fucking animal dude what an animal <laughs> and you know you say like i i I really do think like you get what you truly, truly want. And it's like, he wants it, dude. And you know, I love Kenny, but Coop wanted to win more than Kenny. It's simple. It's so simple. The dude who wanted to win yeah. one. Yeah. And, and did a little more than everybody else. Uh, probably suffered a little bit more, um, threw himself out there a little bit more. And then again, just to make sure everyone knows you go out on the night that it doesn't matter but it does to you and you win. And it's like, yeah, guys sleep on that for eight months. And cause I, again, outdoors are coming. It's a different ball game. Like, I mean, they're all different personalities, indoor and outdoor. So again, I think that was more of a 2022 message send off. Yeah. Like, Hey, see y'all in January. Uh, you know what you're dealing with when I'm on the gate and that's just, just boss mode. I mean, I, 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 even Ricky, I've talked to Ricky about it multiple times and he's just like, man, I, glad I didn't have to deal with that guy like I would I mean he because he was that guy Ricky was more that guy than anybody so I think he's looking at Cooper going well I'm glad I didn't have to deal with a version of myself which is someone that's just relentless so um and yeah he he's special in this time I mean he proves it all the time um and I don't know about you but I, I I'm really liking 
this generation right now. I'm having, I, I've, I've, I think it's a Big fun time. generation because they're all different. I mean, this is really a diverse group. Cooper's his way. Kenny's his way. Eli's his way. Now you got this youth movement coming in, Chase and AC and um, Dylan. And it just this crop of personalities and characters is rad right now. Um, because Cooper, again, what if he was the fastest guy too? It'd suck right now. He'd be whooping yeah, be, their ass all the time, and it would be boring. But he's not the fastest guy. You got Eli, who's the fastest guy, can't get starts. You got Cooper, the gnarliest racer, who's not really the quickest guy, and then he's really struggles in the whoops most of the time. You got Kenny, who's this sprinter. You got AC and Sexton, these just wild pups, right? They are just, God, they scare me, maybe. They just go for it. So you're thinking, once they tighten it up a little bit, what are they going to be? There's just all these different, no one's the same right now. And it's funny how you put them all on the gate and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. And the guy with the just, the, it's like a, I said it once on the broadcast and someone pushed back at me and I said he was like greedy or something. I, I said a, a kind of a negative word about him, like he was greedy or stingy or something. And they're like, dude, that's kind of rude. And I said, no, I meant it in a good way. Like Kobe nah, Bryant was a, the same yeah. way as a basketball player. He's greedy. He, did, he wanted all of it all the time and wanted nobody to have any of it. And it's funny how you yeah. line up all these dudes with all their strengths and weaknesses and the guy with that brain wins because that is more powerful than everything else. And like, again, for these guys next year, like you better, you better outspeed the shit out of him because if it can, it comes into a duel. It's the last dude on the planet I'd ever want to be in a one-on-one duel with late. He's just, and again, winning that last round and the way he did it was one final reminder for y'all. Because you know these guys go back and watch. They'll, next year in December, they'll go back and watch last year and kind of, they're going to watch that and go, damn, that dude. You know? So, this yeah, dude. is special. And, man, like, who's going to, I was thinking about this, is like, all right, there's guys that could win. I, my hope, my great white hope to, to stop this Cooper Webb train from just rolling on down into the sunset for the next few years is Sexton. Like, I think he has He's the one, all of the too. physically, like physically nobody looks better on a motorcycle than Chase Sexton. Like, it's actually bullshit. Yeah, so we're talking about, uh, so I, f- I feel like Sexton's probably going to be the guy that could get it done. Um, I mean, like, Kenny obviously can do it. Like, he's there, you know, the last round. There's some tweaks that he's obviously going to have to make like it's hard to spend I like he's my friend I just at this point it's hard to even like what say what I want to say because I just feel I don't know it doesn't feel right um but with yeah so I think Sexton is a guy that definitely he's got all the ingredients um it looks like somebody made a right like a riding robot and was like, okay, we're yep. going to set technique to 100. And uh, this is what yep. he looks like. It's fucking absurd, man. Like, I've watched so much slow motion footage of that dude ride. But does he have the mental capacity? Does he have the people in his corner? Does he have enough stability in terms of, like, the relationships that he has around him? I mean, scare at the start of this year with some rumors <laughs> you hear about girls and shit. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's like a lot of pieces to the puzzle that, that have to come into play. So it's like, all right, maybe Sexton gets it done. Maybe Kenny figures it out. 
Eli's going to be on a Yamaha. Maybe that cable mm-hmm. clutch gets him what he wants. But it's just like, from where I'm sitting, being a dude that doesn't know that much, I'm looking at Cooper Webb like, fuck, you might go on a real gnarly run here, dude. Yeah, if he keeps that same, if he can control that, what he's got going on now and keep it, he could keep doing it because, again, it's 17. So that's the thing about Supercross, too, is it's such a sprinty sport. It feels like a sprint. It's not a sprint. It is a four-month fight. Yeah. Monday is part of that fight. Wednesday is part of that fight. Sunday, Saturday, Saturday is just one little piece of that fight. But Cooper is pretty gnarly for four months straight. And that's the thing is if you're going to beat him in a title, because I, I truly think Eli, Kenny, Chase, these guys could all blow his doors off on a given night. Yeah. I mean, it's a given night, whatever. But for four months to try to like fight that guy, he just seems like one of those fighters, like a boxer that you ain't knocking him out. So you better have the endurance to go the whole shebang because he will just keep going. So it's, that's what I'm saying is someone's going to have to come and like knock him out by just being way better than him and then having the same brain like him. Chase is the guy that I kind of believe in too. I mean, he, I'm very high on him. Like you said, fundamentally flawless, just unbelievable dirt bike rider. But I've, I've, I get to know these riders when I talk to them and I, you know, when I'm, cause when I interview guys, I don't want you all to think like I walk up and then just say, okay, an interview. Like I talked yeah. to these guys before. I usually say, because my TV coach taught me, if you want a great interview, connect with the dude before. Like the last thing you want, this isn't TMZ dude, or, or, or I'm not a news reporter. Where I'm trying to surprise the guy and get a gotcha. Yeah. Like the better interview he does the better it makes me look because I'm the one that asks the question. So I tell these guys a lot like, hey, good ride, bro. Whoa, what happened? over?" Like I start rapping with them a little bit and that way they're loose. So when we talk, they, they talk to me, you know, that's, that's what I want out of them. So I've built these relationships with these guys and you can kind of start seeing through the conversation and get a little bit into their brain a little bit. Chase, I mean, they should be scared. He has a little bit of what Cooper has. I mean, it actually happened in an interview. I, one time, I think McElrath beat him last year in Salt Lake. Just Chase made a bobble, maybe got in lap traffic, and Shane got away. And on the podium, I said something like, yeah, you know, it was a great ride. You know, you lost touch with Shane. He got away from you there. And he, like, fired back on me, like, pretty aggressive. And it was almost like I said what happened, but he did not like that it happened, and he did not like that it happened that way. He was almost so bent, not at me, but he definitely like kind of lashed out at me. And you would think that I'd have a problem with that. I was like, oh my God, I love this dude. Like he can't stand the fact that I just told him a fact and he didn't like what it was. And he's so bent that it happened. So he's got that kind of that shark in the water brain too, where I think he wants it so, so bad, but he's young. So he's got to control, he's got to learn to control it. But once he does, he, I think will be probably your next multi-time champion could Eli win again yeah can he get his first yeah Coop Chase to me will be the next one say five years from now that's got a couple of these because again he has got some of that mentality that Cooper has but he's honestly a better I'd say physically a better rider Mm -hmm. so Cooper is gonna have to fight a guy like him I think very soon and he just has to hope that Chase stays messy because it is messy right now he's too fast for his own good. He, that loop out thing he did at Salt Lake City in practice, like those things are still happening because he's still a pup, I think. You know, he's, mm. he's, he's got it all, but he's a little young to really understand all the issues that are out there that can bite you because they all mm. bite. He, he gets bit a lot. So I think when he cleans it up, 
Coop's going to have his hands full because that guy's like him. And I think that's why that last round was important because Cooper knows everything about every one of his competition. I mean, you, I've had conversations. I say, hey, what do you think about he? He knows everything about everyone. So you think you and I somehow happen to know this about Chase and he doesn't? Yeah. So that round 17, he knows too. That is not someone he wants to gain any confidence and momentum because that guy's got the same type of attitude and the same DNA. So I'm with you. I I personally believe he's the next, like, probably superstar, and he's going to have his run until Jet grows up because then he's going to have his hands full with a different type of freak show, man, because Jet is just something else, man. Just talk about giving the gift. That guy, he was given the gift. And and so they better all have their fun now because when that kid gets on a 450 and gets through a rough year or two, they're screwed, like way screwed. So enjoy the bubble you guys got now because that kid's coming too, and he's going to be a problem for everybody. So lay out Jet Lawrence's career for me as you see it right now. After watching what he did this season, like what's the moves he makes? Uh, Okay, this is just guessing. With some inside knowledge on what I think the thought is, um, I think he's waiting for Kenny. I think he he goes into Kenny's seat whenever Kenny's gone. So if Kenny goes one year, he's in. I think he goes in pretty quick. I I think Jet will go into that onto that bike when Kenny's done. So based on Kenny's future, I don't know when it will happen. But I would say as a guess, let's get one more year out of Kenny, 2022. Jet probably goes next year, and I, I mean I'll I'll say it even though it's it's hard for me because it's my job is to be very equal to these guys right I'm not supposed to pick sides here and I'm not picking a side because he's not like my guy but I just this is what I believe I believe he hammers them next year in Supercross like they're they he's gonna he's gonna wax everybody and if you're if you think you have a title chance I I suggest you go to the other coast I just he's gonna win whatever one he's on that's what I think and I think he probably goes right in the 450 doesn't even defend goes right up probably has a rough year we've seen some rough stuff out of him right that kid has taken some licks we see that for a year or two and then lights out just then I, I honestly i mean i this is crazy and some might not agree with me and i guarantee a lot do though he is like the next mcgrath where he's gonna go and win who knows how many like a lot for a long time until he's bored <laughs> i really do I, I just think he was given the the gifts that everybody he's got the travis pastrana gifts he's got the stewart gift he's got the work ethic, from what I understand, 17-year-old kid works hard. I think he's got all of it. So the one thing that can throw him off is fame, straight up. That's the only thing, in my opinion, that could steer his ship is if he gets too famous, too quick, too young, and does some silly decisions with that fame, that distracts him. Because this sport, you can't be distracted, at least during the season. My only word for him is that he is going to explode very fast. And as long as he has good people around him, which I know he does, they will keep that contained because if that gets out and he becomes like a figure and like and lives into it and plays into it too much Mm. that could steer the course but if not they're screwed straight up so what do you see in him on the floor standing at supercross that makes you uh that makes you feel okay about that prediction natural touch um, and I've said that for a while now. There's there's something weird about the way he rides where he feels the ground differently. Um, he doesn't scrub everything. He doesn't whip. He's not some kind of... Like, when you see Forkner ride, you're just like, damn, right? Because he is just... 
he he makes your heart rate go up. He reminds yeah. me of like a Villapoto type. Put him in put him in that corner that just the woo. Jet doesn't do anything like that. It's this weird natural feel to the ground like Stewart had, but like this talent like Pastrana had where he could pull some shit off that is like I don't even know how he even his brain even knows what he did. I don't even know if he does know what he does sometimes. So it's this natural ability to feel the ground, understand what's underneath him, and go super, super fast without much crazy effort. When he, did, when he does get crazy, you ever know, he, he does get a little squirrely when he kind of breaks out of that comfort zone. But his natural comfort zone is like better than everybody. And I just look at his age and I'm thinking, for you to be that young, and I mean, I remember being 17, do you? I, like, <laughs> Barely. <laughs> to be 17. I was fucking drunk. And have that... to be 17 and have that much understanding of what's going on just some people are freaks and i and and i'll say it in a positive so hopefully no one takes that offensively he's just he's a freak show man he just has he has natural gifts that no one else has it's going to be harder for everyone else to do what he does in his sleep and he's a kid and i'm just I'd be scared to see him on a 450 because, again, you talk about that feeling on the ground and understanding the dynamic. And it's like he understands angles different. Yeah. You put someone like that on a 450. I don't know if we have anyone all the way like that. Even Chase. Chase does some really cool things, but I don't know if he's got that thing. There's, a, there's, this, there's this weird little thing that Jet has that I don't think anyone else has. And I, and I haven't seen it since Pastrana. And I know they don't look the same. But somehow does things on the bike that don't make sense, and it's just easy. Yeah. And he has that. And so, again, keep him tight. I think you got something there, but I'm just, he's, he's young, and he, the fame is it's going to come in very, very fast. It, it already is, but I just, as long as the family stays involved, because I know he's very involved with his parents. Um, you know, after the races, he's in the lobby with mom and dad. Like, I, as long as they keep that and keep him with them. You know, keep the family as the thing. Hunter needs to be involved too. If they keep the family together, those brothers are going to do some special shit in the sport. But if they break out and start living into it, I think that screws everybody. I mean, we see that happen in the sport all the time. You just, yeah. if you get caught up in your own success, dude, it could bite you quick. So he's going to have a lot of it early and he's young and chicks are coming. Like, you know that, you know what's coming his way. I mean, that dude's going to have his choice of whatever he wants someday. <laughs> Family needs to stay involved heavy. And if they do, this dude will be the maybe one of the baddest dudes to ever do it. But yeah. that's the only thing that concerns me. So. Uh, I I get the feeling we're going to watch some motos outdoors where the track's going to be like completely fucked. And you're going to see Jet get a whole shot. Yeah, he might get like eighth in the first moto. But then the second moto, he's going to get a whole shot and just get to do what you said. Like just ride like how he, he's just going to cruise around and fucking have fun and that's going to be like a 45 second moto win but the moto yeah. before will be eighth he, you are right like there there is some times where he's just going to look so ridiculous on a bike and just make it look so easy and just get into some weird zone where like he doesn't even have to like he just floats around the track like i i can see that happen and you know like i mean it's funny that you say like oh, i'm not allowed to have sides that it's I look at you guys over the, it's it's funny like all of you guys over there that's like the media I'm like hey I ain't that guy I ain't in the media I can have my <laughs> fucking guys Jet Lawrence Hunter yeah. Lawrence 
they're my boys <laughs> yeah. so i'm like yeah, i get I, I get to have that it's funny that um i i don't yeah i don't even un, i guess i understand that like you guys that are technically professionals in that media game can't play favorites but um yeah i just sit over here and i'm like hey that's my that's my boys i got my favorites yeah i'm gonna talk good yeah. about them forever and uh that's how this shit's going down but i, I honestly think you're right yeah. like i've seen those like i ronan you've been lapped by jet twice on a 65 yeah, warwick. warwick club day <laughs> my producer ronan they're about the same age lapped twice on a 65 on like a huge fucking outdoor track it's just like forever man that kid's just been a freak yeah he is and it's the little brother syndrome too it, it doesn't happen often well it does it, it's 50 50 you see a lot of brothers where the older brother is like the success and the younger brother maybe isn't into it as much like the stewards james is like the gnarly, one of the gnarliest dudes to ever ride a dirt bike whatever malcolm is sick too but he was he wasn't always into it he liked to fish and he didn't take it all the way serious where James was just a winning machine from the minute I ever saw him, which he was like eight years old, right? But then there's the other story sometimes where the younger brother, because they chase their yeah. whole life, they chase their brother. They want, they have something to chase their entire life. And Hunter is sick too. So it's like you have this older brother who is unbelievable, but you're going to chase him around your entire life. So you've got a little something extra too because you've just been chasing this dude that's better than you your whole life and i love seeing how they act together and i i i, I you probably notice in the broadcast i play into it i i yeah, try to provoke so you should because because i'm an older brother i'm the older brother so i'm team hunter like all those things i'm saying about jet i still want hunter to beat jet because i'm an older brother i want the older brother to win so i provoked them a little bit but i love the fact that when it's all said and done hunter loops his bike they're hugging on the podium they're pouring things on each other because really I think it's worked when you're a hunter you got this little freak show brother who's just breathing down your neck like your whole life probably like beating your records or do and then if you're jet you got this badass big brother and you want to be like him maybe even better so it's like they've had this like little fueled relationship that's driven them and again i know they went through hard times but the one thing they did have was each other and it's good to have someone in your corner that's going through it like you are but is finding success. I'm sure Jet watching his uh, his brother find that success during their roughest times. He got to see that. You know what I mean? Like it's one thing to hear someone's tough times and go wow and be yeah. inspired. It's another thing to be a little kid and watch it. You know what I mean? So he's watched his brother fight through a family struggle, get you know help the family make the way over here, and now he's like driven to do his part too. I think. And there's a lot of drive between those two, and the fact that they talk shit but they're so close and like they really do care about the other one, but they also are fueled by the other one. I mean, it's, I, it's like the Baker factory, how he puts these guys against each other to help them drive each other up to the top. How about these two brothers, dude? They're gnarly. Like they are gnarly. Like they literally go into the outdoor nationals. It, dude. I mean, J Mart's of course, a, just a monster outdoors, but dude, Hunter and Jack, I, I flip a coin. I don't know which one of these two might get this thing but dude they're both so gnarly and it's crazy that they had that to drive themselves all the way through and and i love that and i really do think this is going to happen i believe at some point i want you to remember this moment too there will be a year when jet wins the 450 supercross title and hunter wins the 450 outdoor title i really think it'll happen five years well i don't know how many years down the line and that's going to be gnarly too because you go back to their story sleeping on floors eating top ramen leaving their 
con- not even leaving their country, leaving their continent for the other half of the world, suffering. Those two are going to end up winning some titles, and that story is sick. These are kids. These were kids that had to go through this. It's one thing to be an adult. Like, dude, we, we've grinded, right? You've, you've lived some gnarly days. These were kids doing it. Yeah. These were kids traveling around the world, suffering, knowing that mom and dad have no money. Dude, for them to go through that and be where I think they can be, that right there is a that's that's a movie to me. That that's a that's a movie, and I think we need more of those movies. We need this sport, I think, to transcend out by telling these stories. Yes. These aren't all a bunch of little punk, little rich kids that all are all suit. No, these dudes went through some shit, and when they do win, that story needs to be told. And even for me, like I love Cooper. Like, dude, I would consider him to be a friend. Where Ken Roxon is not my friend. He's an acquaintance. He's a work acquaintance. I want Kenny to get one too, though. Yeah. Because I want that story told. Well, you know the story. He went through more. It's insane. It, it is, It is. to me, if he was able to win a Supercross championship after what happened to him at Anaheim that year with the arm, we're talking maybe one of the best sports stories of all time, not just yeah. in this sport. That dude, they told him he might not be able to write his own name. If he wins a 450 Supercross, that's why for, there's a part of me where I'm not supposed to want it for anyone, but I want Kenny to get one because I want to be able to tell that story and be like, Y'all think this is great? Do you know what he did? Do you know what he came from? Do you know how many surgeries he had on that arm? And now he won? Like, I want that story to finish. Bad. Jet and Hunter, they'll get their story. Cooper has his story. I love when these guys... Eli having all those years of failure. Second, second, second. Wins it. That's powerful. Cooper being... Dude, just a 450 bum for a couple years. It's just not coming around. He's just, he's he's nobody. Everyone loses faith to come back and win. That's a story. Like, I want these guys, I want these stories told. And for me, Kenny, God, I want that one to happen bad. The Jet and Hunter one, I, I, I truly, unless something steers the course, they'll get their day and then we can tell that story because it's badass. And it makes the sport look better than it even is because there's a real life story behind this dirt bike kid with his helmet on. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's more to it than just, wow, he's sick on a bike. No. He's a little kid living in Europe, sleeping on a hardwood floor with eating Top Ramen. And now he's the baddest dude in the world. Like, I, I want those to happen because I want those stories told. Yeah, well, speaking on that, man, um, I think that's something that's so great about what you do with Main Event Moto, um, what I try to do here, what everybody, you know, there's a bunch of podcasts that are doing exactly that. And I think that's definitely been my main focus of you know the moto content that i do here is like let's tell those gnarly stories man like let's let's really humanize these guys because i think that there was a point in time in the sport where the objective was to like let's make these guys seem unhuman they're so special they're so fantastic and we kind of got to this point of unrelatability and it was in that mm-hmm. Stuart, Chad, Ricky era. And there was there was three guys that you could kind of talk about. You could add Kevin in there and then the freak show that was Travis yep. that almost seemed like a sideline story to, you know, the racing. Um, but we kind of, yeah. <laughs> as, as the sport, we spent so much time focusing on that element of these guys. It's unattainable. The fitness is unattainable. All this is unattainable. But like you know to tell the story of you know the comments on the ap podcast if you go through the youtube comments is like dude 
maybe every second comment, AP is my new favorite rider. AP is the guy I'm going to cheer for next year. Yeah. Wow, AP so rad. AP is just like me. That's the shit I think that is going to take the sport forward because when you just watch, and I mean, this is what I have in my head the whole time is like, how do I reach new people? I want new, 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 new. Mm-hmm. I want the I want the DM that says I bought a dirt bike after 15 years of not having one. This is the first time I've ever watched Supercross. Like that's my goal here. And how we do that mm-hmm. is through stories and cultivating these stories. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm looking at when I'm watching the sport, when I'm doing Supercross Companion and then doing these interviews with these guys it's kind of like what you said, how you've got these narratives in your head. Like, that's me too. Like, I literally think this in every time, every every day I'm watching anything, I'm just like, all right, where, what's the what's the human factor in here? What's the relatability? How can, how can someone that knows nothing about Supercross connect with this dude on a deep enough level to make them invested in his success? And I think that, I mean, Moto Spy is doing that great. Like, and you know, the podcast and I, I think that is what grows our sport to the next level. I hope that, uh, the broadcast can incorporate a bit more of that stuff. Like to me, uh, you're not going to speak on this, but like the science of supercross, like, eh, eh, that's cool. But like, I, I don't care. I've raced bikes my whole life and I don't, I don't care. Like I don't really need to know that. I'd rather know the, you know, the real, the human side of stuff. Like even, you know, like the family element that, that the Lawrences have. And, and, you know, they've got a, they've got a sibling that really struggles like physically. Um, there's some, you know, there's some issues there in that family that like they even have to deal with. And that's, that's two like brothers that, that get to support another sibling through something that's like, that's a struggle that is, far beyond what they'll ever go through and how many people out there can relate to those stories and you know so i think that it's so important the work that that you're doing um and bringing that to the broadcast and i think i think collectively like that's kind of our job now is like these are the sort of stories that i think will break the sport out of um you know out of the place it's in now And, and i think too we've got to give guys leeway to get it wrong as well you know like give these Mm -hmm. guys a like not be so critical i think there's definitely times like i mean i just see it from the comments like what people are critical on and i'm like oh you guys are fucking up like you can't be critical on this and then when i see media guys comment on certain things i'm like you're fucking it up man you cannot be critical on this like we need you need the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can't just have the good. You can't have, you can't mold it all one way yep. because then you're going to have guys, like my example was the Lawrence Moseman thing. I fully think Jet's being a fucking dumb kid in that respect. Am I going to criticize totally him for it? <laughs> no. Go, you fucking do no, your worst. No. No, because if, you, if he starts second guessing exactly what to say, we lost him. Yeah. The minute he goes, oh, I should put a filter on, we lost him. So I would rather have him screw up because I think he was in the wrong on that. He was, I think he was kind of being a butthead about that, dude. And it's like, 
It's okay though. Like let him, yeah. yeah, let him say it and let him learn from it. And dude, Moseman might have to teach him a lesson for that. Who knows? Like who knows where that all goes? But when he said it, I I, I know people that literally were like. I don't like that kid no more. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, whoa, exactly. Whoa. We're talking about a kid who was like 99.9% just a media darling who lets some emotion slip one time and you want to wipe away the 99.9% rest of them because of a slip up. And but that but that's I think part of the process with the fans too. Remember, everyone hated Chad Reed. And yeah. then they loved Chad Reed. Everyone hated Ricky for a while. He took the crown from the king, man. Hate Ricky. Ricky's so loved now, dude. Everyone loves Ricky. These guys, they go through this chapter where we love them. They find success. They do a thing or two wrong. And all of a sudden, everyone wants to hate them. And then they all come back around in the end. So for Jet, again, I obviously he's being coached probably on how to be whatever. But dude, don't, don't mute that kid. Yeah. Don't mute that kid. AP, could you imagine if Aaron Plessinger sat, I'm, I'm assuming was he in this chair? Yeah. <laughs> if he sat in this chair and held back, That'd have been a shitty interview, but he, he was Aaron. And the minute he feels muted and he needs to be protective, you just lost another one. So I'm with you too. It's not even just the stories. It's the characters. Yeah. Like Plessinger's story is not too gnarly dramatic. I mean, he had some bumps in the road. They all have, but he doesn't have the, the Kenny, um, story or the jet. Like his is different where he specials in his personality. Yeah. And we can't let these guys fade away because the, the, the sport makes them do it. Like, it's just, we need to get more. And, and it's funny you say um, how you want that so bad because I do too. You know, our TV coach that we had for a couple of years, he told me, if you really want to be good at broadcasting, you need to learn how to live in the mind of a producer. Because once you understand production, then you can be really good at commentating because you understand what needs to be said, what doesn't, when to say it, when not to. Well, think about this. You have all these characters, the, the Aaron Plessinger with the mustache and the Duke for yeah. Dale. You got Ken Roxon who is like, dude, I mean, let's be straight up. He's just a good looking dude. He's a sharp, yeah. good looking guy. You got Eli who's got the beard. He's kind of your like your mountain man kind of guy, whatever. Dude, I, I think for this sport to grow, we got to get the helmets off these dudes. Yeah. Unless they're racing. I think opening ceremonies should be on TV and they should come out no helmets, not riding around. We're not trying to send a message, but maybe they just ride down the starter wave, whatever. Show me their faces, make them humans. Cause right now they look like mortal combat characters on the track. Yes. And that's cool for us. You and me, like, right. When you see a new gear and a new helmet, you're like, dude, that's sick. A new fans not going to go. I love jet Lawrence. Look at that cool gear. He's got on. No, they want to see his curly hair and his face. And they want to hear him talk. I think opening ceremony should be that way. I think when the guys are on the line for the main helmets should be off until the guy says it's yeah. time to go. It should be mandatory. That's a Your great idea, is dude. Off. That is a great idea. Because because when we're panning on the start and we're prepping, you know, the, the segment before the 450 main and we want to say focus on four guys, you know, Webb, I want to see his face. When I'm saying, yeah, this guy right here is done. This. Dude, I don't want to see him with his helmet on. He just looks like a video game character. Take the helmet off. I want to see the face that goes to this story. And I think it should be mandatory that these guys are not even allowed to. And the reason why I even think that is because of Jet. This year at one of the races, I think it was Indy, he's on the gate with his headphones on. Yeah. And he's kind of just doing his thing. And every dude had their helmet on. I know they're probably all nervous, whatever. And he's just kind of bouncing around. And we focused on him for a second, just on an accident. And we're talking about him. And I'm like, wow, whatever we're saying right now, I think it was Ricky who was talking about him. It seems more realistic because I'm looking at his face. 
and not his helmet. Now when you're talking about this kid and his temperament and his personality, now I have a face to put to it. And I, I mean, my mom and my wife love Jet Lawrence. Guarantee you they would not even know who he is or give a rat's ass if they didn't see his face and hear him talk. And that doesn't mean every guy has to be like him personality, but you got to see it. Like Eli Tomac has a lot of fans. Is it because mm. of his radiant personality? No, it's because he's got this thing about him. He's that hardworking, strong kind of mountain man type guy. We need to see that more because when he's on the gate and we're talking about how he's a warrior, he's a late race charger, there's no one stronger. I want to see his face. Yeah. Because then it rela- it's relatable. He's a human being now. Like you said, you want to humanize him? Get the damn helmet off. And even like the shots like coming in and out of commercial, they're all sick, like slow-mo, all that. Off. Face shots, body shots. Ken Roxon at a commercial break should be Kenny with his wife and kid. Yeah. That is more, and they do it. It should be all the time. Yeah. When they're totally racing, agree. we see them on the bike. When they are not racing, it should only be their faces, their bodies, their families, their life. It should be nothing else. The glam, save the glam for all the videographers that do an amazing job. Our sport has the baddest ass editors, dude. You know that, right? We have, we've got talent when it comes to video editing. Let them do all that. But on the broadcast, when you have this mass audience, Show me the face at yeah. all times and then put it on and race. I, I, I think that is huge. If you want to you expand out of our bubble, no one is going to just gravitate to this Mortal Kombat character. They're going to gravitate to the human. And we got rad ones in the sport, so let's do something with them. And we got more coming too. Forkner, dude. Forkner is a rad little individual character. Yes, he's got his flaws. That, whatever. He's rad, dude. He's a rad kid that a lot of people like. I want to see him more. I want to see Jet. I want to see Hunter. I want to see Joe Shimoda is just, dude, hit. Yeah. When he, and it was so cool for me to be the one that got to call his first win. When he was on the podium talking about my family I haven't seen, and they're all here. Dude, that kid wanted to cry bad. He he held it together, but he wanted, know, to I wanted, I wanted to cry. I almost teared up in the booth. I almost cleared up in the booth, dude. That right there, he probably got a 10, 100 times more fans in that 30 seconds than he would ever get riding his dirt bike, ever. Because he was a human who just did something so badass and he just expressed it and you felt it. So for me, I think all of our attention needs to be bringing the human side out, not on the bike as much, but their face, the podium, that we need more of that. I don't know if you noticed, but round 17, we had an extra 30 minutes at the beginning of the show. We went live like early. We had a chance to go, it was like a last minute deal. Dude, I was running around, I, got, I interviewed Hunter, Jet, Kenny, uh, Will had, I think, Cooper, Cole, Justin, all these guys in their street clothes. Yeah. Just talking, vibing. It made the it made the whole event feel different because we got a chance to like meet these people before the gate dropped. So uh, I, I'm with you. I, I want to grow the sport too bad. I mean, dude, I love this sport. I want it to be as big as it could ever be. And I don't think we're going to gravitate to a new audience through anything other than their faces. That's it. Because people gravitate to new people based on what they see. And when they all look the same out there, that's for the diehards. That's for us racers, right? That's for us core. We want to see them race, but the new people want to see them, not the racing. The racing means nothing to the new people. It's them. My mom and wife love jet because they, they met jet on television. Yeah. Not because he's a talent who can feel the ground and he's sick and he's 17. No, it was because of him. And there's, we have, we have 15 of those guys waiting to go AP and jet are nothing alike. Yeah. And they both have the same effect. They speak to different audiences. But they both look the same with their gear on. But they both but they speak to the same audience when they're racing. Yes. The yes. racer fan. Yes. So you want that new fan? 
it's it's the humans that are going to get the new fans, not the racers, in my opinion. Man, I could not agree any more with what you just said, and I think that fuck to, you just offered a solution like that could be implemented at the first <laughs> race you know it's it's really hard to do what you just did to find a point of weakness and something to be improved on and then just offer such a simple and clear strategy and i think that if that isn't implemented after this comes out and <laughs> the right people hear it then that makes me sad <laughs> because that's it's a no-brainer you just have like the you just have a guy at the start it's like helmets on and then they get to put their helmets on you give them a sensible amount of time but like man i i was talking with colt when he come on the podcast as well right and he's a swaggy dude and so this, one yeah. of the sad parts of the sport where it's like okay this is an example where this needs to be better justin bogle is a fucking rapper like he is a really good rapper he's probably one of the coolest people i've ever met in my life in terms of like you hang out with him his vibe his whole energy the way that he dresses the amount of talent he's got how humble he is one of the coolest people i've ever met yep. that dude is insecure about showing that side of his personality because it's not like the racer deal colt nichols loves buying sneakers has like a whole room full of sneakers there's nowhere <laughs> for that to come through you know what i mean jet's the same hunter's the same so next year i'm gonna organize with garth and and uh swanee we're gonna do like the outfit walkout deal like the nba does but it's like man that's yep. so simple to set that up you set out like a, a an area for these guys to like there's like a vip sort of lane where you know you come in and it's like hey if you want to do like the the walk the walkthrough it's going to be at like you know 9 30 a.m in the morning they'll have like a backdrop there'll mm -hmm. be like a fucking lane set up you can have a barrier so some fans can be up there taking photos literally walk through got you monster energy supercross logos in the Dude. back or whatever and then it's just like the boys come out they sign some autographs it's like a lane you have to go through you dress the way you want to dress like ap can run a fucking cowboy hat his boot buckle some like take off all the team stuff this is before the team stuff comes on red bull can make some cool hats or monster can do some cool stuff like and then you show that on the broadcast like open up with like the nba mm -hmm. style where you've got them coming through the stadium dude set it up in the stadium like literally copy what the nba does guess what yep. nba is fucking huge simple just yeah they're doing it right well and here's the thing is though they're on to it too and, and i and i will i know there's a narrative out there that sometimes i think is unjust and, and it's harsh about the sport and how there's there's no uh, proactive thought there is there's a, it's hard for big businesses and big things to make big moves, right? Big it's got to happen yeah, slow. Yeah. I mean, they chip away. Yeah. So here's a couple examples. Race Day Live got changed because of COVID and the pits and all that stuff, right? But the year before or the year of, we were out in the pit party and they had that red carpet thing. But the riders would ride in and out after practice, which was that was like next step for me too. Cause you yeah. had fans along the fence line waiting to see Aaron Plessinger ride by jet Lawrence ride by. But I know what you're saying. This is like one step further more on what I was saying. I want to see them walk by. 
Yeah. Imagine the fans at the stadium. Even imagine if it was one of those things where, again, track walks at 11. So from 1030 to 11 is the rider's window to get Perfect. to the track. Perfect. And they have to walk through this one Perfect. area. And it's it's set to all the fans know, yep. hey, 1030, be by the walk. Because they already have the yep. walk. They did it last year or a year and a half ago. And that's where they walk in. And all the fans are lined up. And they're waiting for these dudes to walk in. In and you get to see their faces more because when they ride by on their bikes, that's sick. You're like, oh my god, Eli Tomac. But that's Eli Tomac, the racer. I want to see Eli Tomac, the guy. So I know what you're saying. And the cool thing is, is we're already kind of on our way there. You know, we we have that ready to go. Like we already are doing it. We can just continue to grow that with the fans coming back. And then another one is you talk about science of supercross, which I love for the gearheads. Like, dude, the tech guy, like they love that. But for you and me, when we're talking this character thing. They do the goat nose where Ricky does a segment where he talks about the riders, the goat nose. I love that. We need three or four more of those types of segments. You know what yeah. I mean? We're, it's like we're scratching the, it's like we're there, dude. We're, we're there. Yeah. We're so close. Yeah. This thing, we have all the characters. Things are in motion. The broadcast, there are things behind the scenes that not everyone's seeing that there is definitely movement into these things that you're talking about. They're doing a great job on that. It just moves slower than everyone would like. Yeah. We're close, man. We're really close to blowing the lid off this sport. And I think just a couple few little things here and there, and this thing's going to go. So that's why I wanted to say what you said is we're, we're not far. We could, That's not even a big change. It's already almost built and ready. Just a little tweak. And we got exactly what you're talking about, that NBA walkthrough and where they got the crazy top hats and the feathers. Everyone's going to be their own guy, right? Like Russell Westbrook or Cam yep. Newton. These dudes, He's the king. They're, just, they're like that guy. He's the yep. Colt Nichols of, uh, of Super... He's the one with the style. We'll have all those guys. Imagine AP walking in with his cowboy hat and his cowboy boots on. Everyone's like, yep. there's Aaron. There, I yep. love Aaron. There he is. Oh, you know what I mean? He's definitely cool number seven, but he's cooler as Aaron. Big so time, if we man. can and, just start modifying and, and, everything. For sure. And the thing is, right, there's a, like, you can look famous. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Like yeah. the the teams would the teams would really need to hear this and not just like not just hear it but listen and go, Okay, we're okay with taking these team shirts off for this walkthrough because that's the instant pushback is Roger DeCosta and KTM being like well, you know, KTM, they do pay us, uh, they pay us quite a lot of money and, you know, you want to have the uh, the logos and then you've got the sponsors. And it's like, cool, 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 mm-hmm. Roger, I get it. You need to give me five minutes with no shirt because it's like <laughs> Russell Westbrook <laughs> looks fucking famous when he walks down that tunnel. He does. Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor at Madison Square Garden wearing a mink coat and no shirt looks fucking famous like when i go to an event (laughs) like that when i watch post malone or when i watch you know like a rock concert or whatever i'm i want to go and i want to see somebody famous like that person wearing that crazy shit makes me feel okay to do something crazy and to to express myself that i want to do like there's a bigger thing at play than just like the racing it's like there's a thing that happens when you let people really express themselves. It, it like pushes everything forward. It creates like a, like a cultural thing and you're giving people a license to then go home and be inspired. Like the, not everyone's going to be inspired by Colt Nichols. I'm going to look at Colt Nichols walk, walk out outfit. I'll be inspired by that. Like that's my style. 
AP style is not my style. My style. I'll look Me at him neither. and appreciate <laughs> yeah. that he looks like a famous dude. Like, can you imagine six foot two, cowboy hat, full button up, got the buckle, sick shoes, and he's there signing autograph. He can play his character. And then you get Jet Lawrence that can come in, let him have some fucking chicks walk in with them. You know, like we've gotta we've <laughs> gotta build we've gotta build this up to where it's like these you look at these guys like man they're superstars like i cannot watch russell westbrook or conor mcgregor walk out in those kind of outfits and not be like in awe of them and you know we kind of saw it with kenny with the suit at the press conference but it's like yep dude dead on this this shit will blow us up in that sense of and even if it's just in the stadium like you're gonna give these people this license to like be themselves and i mean there's always especially i didn't realize when i moved to america like i just come from australia riding a dirt bike it's just i don't know there wasn't much of like a thing around it you know like there was so many people rode Mm -hmm. bikes but when i got to america it was like you'd say someone oh i ride motocross oh so you're like a bro i'm like oh uh, i don't don't know (laughs) you know what i mean so there's even that is quite important to where it's like you can be a cowboy and be a motocross rider you can be a hype beast kid and wear supreme and be a motocross what you're actually doing like the bigger picture of that is you're breaking down the stereotype of what a motocross racer is malcolm stewart's fucking black all of a sudden motocross isn't just for white people you know like that right there it sounds like i'm speaking in hyperbole and and you know like i guess that's kind of the forum here is like let's make these ideas bigger but there is some real shit at play and you can really make those changes like you see malcolm walk through in like the outfit that he wants like that's a young black kid fucking killing it put that on display Mm -hmm. you know if it wasn't for malcolm's dreads then it's like you don't even know that's a black kid riding that bike. That's fucking important, man. It's as important to have that kid getting to do his thing as it is to have the cowboy to do his thing or the hype beast kid to do yep. his thing or you know what I mean? Like it, it is, I, I just think it's way more important than people think it is. 100%. So I'm going to tell you a little story that happened this year and I, you're going to love this because I think one of the bigger problems in it right now with what we're talking about is not everyone is on the same page. It's like we're all in the same book, but we're not on the same page here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that Feld is very, I mean, they're they're all about it. They're trying so hard to do as many things as they can to make things bigger. They want it to be feel bigger, sound bigger, feel, they're into it. The teams, I think they really want to win. They really want to win. And I don't think they look at it the other way. I think the riders kind of get it too, because here's my yeah. story. So every week before opening ceremonies, I kind of go walk through the riders. Not as much anymore because of COVID. I've had to be a little bit more like distance. It's been a lot harder for me. But that, my normal routine was like, walk up to Marvin. What up? How's your week? And he would just tell me about his week. And he felt comfortable enough to me to open up. Eli too. Eli's tougher, but Eli would open up. Kenny's good. They all would talk. What's up? What's up? Well, this year, um, I think it was Indy. I walk up to two riders. I don't want to say who they are because I don't think it's fair because they're about. To, I'm about to reveal what they said. Yeah. Two riders that are buddies, they're opening ceremonies. These are these are top dudes in the sport, obviously top 10 opening ceremonies. And I walk up, what's up, boys? How was the week? Why are we doing? Ah, oh, small talk. And one of them goes, hey, you uh, you cool showing your tattoo like on TV? Like you've never done that before. Like you've always hidden it. Like what's, 
are you allowed to do that? They were like kind of surprised that I have a full sleeve tattoo and I'm wearing a polo on TV on national TV. And they're like, are you allowed to do that? And I said, yeah, I've never been told not to. And they're like, well, why didn't you do it in the past? And I said, well, I just didn't know. And I was being protective too. And I didn't know if like this was looked professional. And like, I, you know, I, I didn't, I never, I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to do, I just kind of just did on my own. And this year, again, trying to level up, I decided for me to level up as a commentator, I needed to be me way more. And I am an ex-lead singer in a band. I do have a full sleeve tattoo. That is who I am. So yeah, I could put the suit on and play the role, but this is me. And I decided to just go for it and no one said anything. So these writers are like, what, like, what are you allowed? You know, is that okay? And I said, yeah. And they're like, damn, man, I just wish our sport looked different. This is this not me talking. This is them. And they just start going on a little tangent. And they said, you know, the, the image has changed in the sport where we're like these superhuman athletes. We're like these Olympian type athletes. And that's not cool. Like, I no. wish they actually portrayed us who we are. We're rock stars. And, you know, and they were kind of joking. They're like, yeah, look at the chicks that we all pull. <laughs> like, moto dudes pull rippers, dude. Like, the, the pits at a supercross. You want to go see the riders? Dude, go look at all their all their girls. They're all so hot. And these dudes, they are rock stars in their own way. They might not be rock band stars, but they're rock stars, like you said. AP's a rock star, dude. Fucking earth. He's a badass. He's a badass. But we have portrayed them as these Olympian-type athletes where they're just the best of the best and the strongest. You know, soccer and moto are the two gnarly. That's cool and all. That don't sell. I don't think anyone sitting on the couch eating pizza, drinking beer is inspired by these athletes. They want to see cool dudes. Yeah. They want to see the cool dudes with the hot chicks. I mean, that's why McGrath did more for this sport than anybody and probably Travis a little bit too in his own way it was because they were so not your athlete. They were sick. Mm. You wanted to be like them. McGrath's got the crazy hair and the loops and he's got a memory of the flag and the light beam coming off his helmet. He was so willing to have balls with his personality and I think that's what all these riders kind of wish it could be like more. And they were literally, they went on a rant. This is, these dudes are getting ready to go race and do their yeah. job. And I, they, they just got on a rant about how they wanted to be viewed differently. And I'm like, wow. So they're on board. <laughs> My yeah. first thought is, okay, well, I know two riders who are on board to play along. If we can get them all to play along and you guys all realize like, yes, you're athletes, you're warriors, you're badass, but dude, collectively, we can all move the needle so hard if we all get on the same page, not the same book. And we all realize that we can make these dudes stars, not race stars, just human stars. And it's cool to hear two young riders who get it and want it. So that's why I think we're close, man. I really do because we have all these guys that I think under, they're starting to get with the Conor McGregor stuff. We're starting to, they're starting to understand that that stuff transcends out of the sport if you open up a little bit and if they all do it, the next thing you know, dude, it's like, dude, Supercross, that's where the baddest, coolest dudes on the planet, that's what the coolest dudes do. Well, right yeah. now, they're the athletes. They're the, they're, yeah. the, they're the crazy athletes and dude, that that don't sell, I don't think. Nah. To a man, bunch of people eating pizza and drinking beer? Dude. No. The, the crazy thing, like, I've been around the sport for my whole life until I started this podcast and it started, like, doing its thing. I had no idea the kinds of people that are fucking fans of these guys, right? And then I start getting these DMs from these people. And I'm sitting in this fucking studio getting these messages going like, what the fuck? I had, like, this dude's (laughs) 
listening to my <laughs> shit because he liked these dudes. What the fuck? Why do people not know this? And I think over time, like, I hope that I can be uh, a part in, like, telling that story and, like, bringing those people into the fold. But it's just, like, our guys are fucking cool, man. For whatever reason, I haven't figured out exactly what's going on. But, man, these boys have some attention of some gnarly motherfuckers. And I'm I'm sitting here going, yeah. like, dude, we don't really need a lot more than just bringing these guys, like, visibly into the sport. Like, that elevates us just yep. by proxy. And I think that yep. you are right. Like, I, I feel like we are close. And, I mean... It's one of the things why I, you know, to, I guess in my, my own lane is like, I want to swear as much as I fucking want to. And I want to <laughs> let other people swear as much as they fucking want to. And I want to sit here and smoke weed when I want to and be like super unprofessional, unprofessional at times. But it's like people want authenticity. Like people want to see like the, I guess, shit that, that they can relate to. And I want this place to be a place where any writer can come and say anything they fucking want and not get criticized well by me i mean people can criticize them you know right. if they want to that's up to them but in terms of like the the platform is like mate do you bro like this is this is your shit yep. like get out your message show who you are and i think that over time i i hope that that does its thing to you know help these guys you know reach more people but i i like what you said that feld and and everyone is on board and i was one of those people for a while that was kind of like criticizing and i'll be open about that but the thing that changed my mind was last year's supercross because feld could have easily put supercross in the too hard basket through the thick of covid and they made it happen and they made Supercross happen yep. at a time where it was very, 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 very hard to make it happen. And as like after that, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be critical in the in the lane of like what I can see that I think. And like what you did, you were critical about something, you offered a solution. And I feel like I would like to continue to be critical, but offer solutions, you know, instead of just bashing the sport because I definitely had that realization after the the feld made supercross happen last year i was like ah okay i thought they kind of didn't give a fuck it was just a side hustle to disney on ice and all the other shit that feld's got going on right. but dave prater that dude was a dog with the bone obviously he obviously mm -hmm. wanted to make it happen in a in a really big way so i think just from that i'm like oh okay i'm out on the feld hate now because like look what they yeah. did yeah and of course you can be critical of things but you you don't want to be critical of them there's a big difference between critical of individual things than generally right and i'll tell you two things about feld uh the first is you're right they they saved the sport um if that sport would have not been able to finish we would be in a bad spot. I mean, we it, it could have sunk the whole damn thing. That's I mean, this thing's moving, right? We got the manufacturers, and it it, it it ends the whole thing. And I know, um, I, I mean, I don't I don't know the details of the meetings behind closed doors, but I can tell you right now from the people that I work with on the ground, because that's who I deal with, right? I don't I don't know I don't know up the chain all, all that stuff, but I know Todd Gendro, 
Steve Yaros, Dave Prater, Doug Cabrera, Sean Brennan, Mike Mewey, Bill Harris. These dudes, they bleed this stuff like the writers do, man. They are they are so into it. Now they do they are in a very big company. Big companies are successful because they have to make big company decisions. So it's not always as easy as everyone wants it to be and they where go things big gotta company change. Overheads. Like that. They have they are a you don't get that size by just doing what feels right. You gotta make hard decisions and they've had to. But the guys on the ground, dude, they're as gnarly as you and I are. They are gnarly fans. So they I feel probably I would imagine press pretty hard to say we have got to finish this even if it's even if it's bad for us. And they did. And them finishing Salt Lake City in the way they did and and let's let's not forget because a lot of people give the NBA the credit on the bubble because the NBA finished their season in the Orlando bubble. Badass. We did it first. Supercross did it first. We finished a championship before any other sports league. And yes, they're bigger so they had a lot more to do. I get that. But those dudes on the ground that make Supercross happen, they, I guarantee, when push came to shove, they pushed as hard as possible to make sure that we could finish that damn thing in the middle of a pandemic that nobody understood, that was just still confusing to all of us, and they made it happen and created a protocol that worked with the state, mm. with the stadium, with the AMA, with NBC. These are all big dogs. Like, we're talking big players in the world game. And they came to a to a formula and they did it and it was not great for them and they did it. So for me, if you want to criticize the things that they do on an individual, I know the purse is always a big one and you can, whatever. I get that. I, I, I would never push back on people's individual complaints on things. But dude, y'all need to understand what they did to save this damn sport and they did it not for the bottom line. They did yeah. it for the sport because these dudes are passionate and they love it. And that's why, again, I think we are in good hands because the people that run this sport are trying as hard as possible to grow it. And they're trying this and they're trying that. And let's try this now. And, and of course, you're working with budgets. Of course, every dude, everybody works with a budget. So you can only do what you can do. But they are pushing that line in every way possible. And they've created a pretty damn good platform for these mm. superstar athletes to be superstars, for these manufacturers to promote their stuff, for these gear. Look at the sport right now. The sport is going nuts right now. Participation is off the hook. We are in this prime opportunity to really blow the lid off this thing. And I want everyone to know that the people that run it, it's in good hands, man. They want it bad, really, really bad right now. And I've talked to Dave. I've talked to, there are things that are on the list of things, the want list of things we want to do. Mm. We want to add this. I mean, I know of some things even next year that fingers crossed we can make happen, especially on the lines of what you and I are talking about with these, these human pieces. There are things in place that I think are going to all start rolling in in the next few years that are going to give us a chance to get this where we want it. And the people that are running it, dude, they're all in. And I think yeah. they proved that in Salt Lake. And I think that the narrative has shifted on them. Again, you can be critical on the things that you don't like. The track sometimes is too short. Dude, I, I can't argue those points. But we're all trying really hard. And the people, the people that make the decisions, they're all in. So I think we're good, guys. Like, again... I think we're all in this together. Let's just get on the same page and like, let's take this thing to a new level because we got all the pieces of the puzzle. We just need to glue it together and go. We're, we're really close. Yeah, no, that's cool to hear from you firsthand. And that's kind of the impression that I've got. Um, and yeah, like I said, come from, come from last year. And the, the thing is too, is like, Hey, start a fucking podcast, start a, you know, 
Start a, a channel. Commentate on the sport. Have your ideas heard. If your ideas are good enough, they'll get a fuckload of views. And then a bunch of other people will be converted to your ideas. And if if anything that I yep. say makes enough sense, it will get back to Feld. I don't, I don't have a, an email right. of anybody at Feld. You know what I mean? I don't talk to any of those people. But if I... If by chance I've got a good idea or if someone says something good enough, you know, this is like a free market economy. Like that's what the free market mm-hmm. is designed for is great ideas rise to the top. And, you know, so I think there's like a, there's definitely a, a, a bit of shift that needs to take place just in people's own personal psyche is like be the change that you want to see. Like put your money where your mouth is. Like if you've got a, idea if you've got something that you think can add to sport go and fucking do it you know there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that that you know won't do what it takes to put your money where the mouth where your mouth is goes back to what you said how bad do you really want it yeah you may want some of these changes but what are you doing to make them happen it's like what we talked about earlier like do you really want it or Mm. you just want to complain and that's why I'm with you too. Like if anyone, I mean, even for me, it, it obviously I would say Salt Lake, I would, ha- I had a, a lot of positive response. There wasn't much negative at all. I tell everybody like, it's only downhill from here. Like it's going to only get worse. I'm going to get criticized, whatever I do from here on out. But along the years I've had criticism along the way. And when somebody actually criticizes me and makes a point on like what yeah, I yeah. actually yeah. did that they didn't like, whatever, I'm like. I love that criticism. I I seek it. I want criticism that's real so that I can get better. But I don't listen to shit talk. Ah, Blair sucks. I hate, I can't stand that dude. Blah, blah. Okay, like what? Okay, you're just talking crap. Like say why? Like I want to know why because I want to fix it if it's a real problem. Like I'm personally desperate to be the best that I, uh, I could be, I want to be the best ever. I mean, that would be my ultimate goal. Honestly, I mean, that's the X racer in me. I would love to be the best broadcaster ever in the sport of supercross. The only way I'm going to get there is to be criticized along the way and learn from it. And I love that shit. But if you're just going to talk bad and just talk smack and just take shots online, that means nothing to anybody. And again, if you're criticizing the sport and you just want to talk bad about the sport, that ain't moving the needle. Put an idea behind your shit talk. And guess what? Maybe all of a sudden someone sees it and goes, wow, that dude had a good idea and it gets implemented. So I'm with you again. Like if you do something about it, if you got a problem and you don't like things, try to make an impact and actually fix it. Don't just type, you know, I, on my podcast, I call it angry fingers. The angry fingers are just angry. Yeah. Have some solution fingers. Once yeah. you say what you think could be better. And then, and then actually people might take your shit talk serious, but otherwise all you're doing is just, you're just angry fingers. And I mean, people, I don't think care about your angry fingers, solution fingers though. Hmm. Wow. it's a good idea. Yeah, I, I'm definitely to implement that or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, it comes back to like, I, I do think that like the, our system is designed to have those good ideas rise to the top. Like that's sort of, I mean, and if something isn't working, like it is just a bad idea. Like every, everything right everything you this isn't just motocross this is everything in life if there, there's just good ideas or bad ideas and you just need to yep. think hard enough 
about like whatever's working right like democracy good idea or a bad idea you know communism capital good idea bad idea racism super bad idea terrible idea that's something like there's a bunch <laughs> the public of, figures it out man yeah <laughs> society figures out the good and the bad ideas and the good ones end up working and the bad ones don't yeah. <laughs> process of elimination <laughs> yeah. but yeah you, you would just hope that yes. yeah I, I think we're just set up to for, for good ideas to win so i'm hoping that you know i mean there's fuck there's been some great ideas on, on this podcast even well it, i think it comes back again to two people that are passionate about it like you love it right i mean i i love it like i'm at if you're doing this and you're dedicating your life and you're spending those hours that you put in you love it right you have a choice you don't have to do this you obviously love it. I love it. You think I liked sleeping in airports and, and red eye and being away from my family all that time? No, I didn't like that, but I love this sport enough to do it. I care. And you care. There's a lot of people that care. And that's why, I, again, I think it comes back to what can we do with what we got? And I know we got a lot of passionate people in a lot of places. And that goes all the way through. And, and, and I hate the rivalries that all kind of brew, but I think it's softer now. But the people at Monster, dude, they want this sport to blow up. Red Bull, they want this sport to blow up everybody wants the same damn thing. Yeah. We just got to get on the same page because I think there's a pretty simple formula on how to get there. And I, yeah. I, I think if we all collectively just go, Hey guys, we got something here. Like we are on the, we are on the cusp of having something special again. It's been a while since we've been able to break mainstream. Yeah. We can do it. Let's all get together and figure out how And it's not far off. Like you said, the sport's not broken. Nothing's wrong. It's yeah. working. It's good. I want it to be great because great will break through good. Good will stay where we're at. And I think if we all just come together and say, Hey, let's, let's take that big step together. Let's make it great. And I think there's some simple solutions outside of the typical business things that have to be done. You know, these are, they're all businesses. Again, they have to operate a certain way. I think inside that realm though, we can, uh, we can do it. And, um, you're a big part of that, the, what you're doing. Um, Steve Mathis, I know you guys are, <laughs> I think, I think you're the right best there, of buddies, but he, yeah, that's your homie right there. He's having a huge impact. He's the, he's the diehard fan guy. Like he's got that pack and he's pushing, um, you know, I'm pushing hey, in my I'll, ways I'll that say, I can. I'm trying I'll to influence on the, oh, sorry. I'll say this on the Steve Mathis thing. And I've said it before. The sport needs that guy bad. bad. I am, yeah, I am not going to be that guy. And for anyone that says like the gypsy gang over pulp thing and got, Hey, I, please, 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 please don't look at me to be the guy that could do what Steve does. I don't fucking want exactly. it. I don't want it. I no, want him just like, to keep doing his thing. Hey, we don't need two jets. We need a jet and an AP. You know yeah. what I mean? So again, and I, I, I hate those debates too because people, they, it's just typical human nature, but they want to pick one. They want to pick a side. Yeah. Dude, we got a lot. Like we got a lot to choose from. That's badass. It's growing. It's getting bigger. Like it, it's awesome. It's working. And like the point I was making though, is we have a lot of people in pretty impactful spots making a difference and really moving. I mean, Jeremy Malat at Red Bull, that dude's yeah. on it. He, he cares. He is <laughs> yeah. trying to innovate in every way. I mean, dude, he throws ideas at me sometimes and he's like, I, what do you think of this one? Like, I, he, he could very easily clock in and clock out, get his paycheck and do his job. That dude is into it so there's all these people that are way into it we just got to all realize what we got it's like we're sitting on a big old golden egg here man let's let's yeah. let's cook this thing dude we're really really there and again that's where i me personally like 
I'm trying to have an impact in the way that I can. Yeah. And for me, yeah. my podcast is, it's okay size. Like we have a good audience. I'm happy, but it's, it's, that's not moving the needle where I can move the needle is on the television side by just bringing something different. Again, I, I'm different than the rest. Uh, I'm not your typical pro broadcaster too. Like when you look at Ralph and Lee and Todd, these dudes are like, they're pros, man. They are like the best of the best. They do the Olympics. They've done NASCAR. Indy. These are all pros. I can't, I don't know if I could even be like them. I don't think I could go into other sports yeah. and even have an impact. I, what I can do is just have an impact in this sport because I love it and I'm psychopathically obsessed with it. So that's like when I get a chance to be on TV on the floor or race day live or my one shot in the booth, I want to be me too. I want to do it in my way and try to have an impact in a little bit different way. And that's hard to do because I have a job to do too. I got to, I got to do the job right. I got to do what they do and, and click the boxes of a play-by-play professional network broadcaster. But I can't just do it that way only because then I wouldn't be who I am. So I got to be me too. And that's why when I got that chance, I was having to balance the role of do what you're supposed to do and do it right. But be you and speak the language. I think I called the writers dudes a couple times. Like, yeah. you know, I just, I, and, and I, and I, probably steered off my role a little bit, but I felt like it was my way to talk to the fans and be like, I am one of you. Like I get it. I know what you want. I know what you guys are craving. I'm going to try to do the job the best I can the right way, but I'm also going to talk to that fan base. And that juggle was very difficult, but I want that bad because I want the fan base happy. They're, they're, they, they do bitch a lot about a lot of things and I see it. Yeah. And it bums me out and it makes me sad because it's like they want it to. We all want this thing to be bigger and better, whatever. And so I wanted to do what I could to make sure that they were satisfied too while also doing the job it needed to be done. Because again, that's not my role. As a play-by-play goal, I'm the what guy, the when guy, the where guy. I'm steering this ship so that Ricky could break it down and explain it all to you. But I knew that if I kind of just put a little edge on it and put it, in my natural way, instead of going straight corporate and doing it just the way it was supposed to be done. If I could do both, I could talk to the audience. And I think most importantly, I think I revved Ricky up too. That, I'm yeah. fast paced, dude. I'm, my brain is moving fast. And I think with Ricky, I, I think I shifted up a gear and he pinned it and he, dude, we had so much fun. I, it was probably fun, like yeah, not fun for me. He probably had fun though, because we were like, we were yelling and screaming and like, and I mean, we like lost track of the job because we were just, we were in that moment. And I think the fans like appreciated that we were like on the couch with them. Like we were mm. sitting with them. It sounded like two dudes who were sitting with you. And again, that, that that's how I'm trying to have my impact in any way. And I don't know the future. I don't know if I get to do it again. I don't know. But wherever I'm at, I'm going to try to bring that from my angle, cause it's the only thing I can do. I can't have impacts in other ways, but with my chance to be on the microphone and talk, I'm going to try to be edgy and cool and talk to the fans and speak their language and do that kind of thing. That way they're satisfied too. Cause I do want to get that new viewer, but I think one way to get the new viewer too, is to make sure that the one you got is satisfied. Yeah. You know, with my business right now, I'm learning a lot about business. And one thing I've learned is that the customer uh, is the most important part of a business, right? You, you don't create a product and then go looking for customers. You find a customer base and you create them a product. They're sitting there waiting for it. Well, we have a customer base that loves the sport. They're diehards. They're crazy. They listen to Gypsy Tales. They listen to Pulp MX. They, they freak out when their episode's late and they read every Racer X magazine. These, these fans are psycho diehards. And if they're happy 
they're talking. They're telling yeah. their friend. They're bringing their buddy who hasn't watched in a couple of years back to the house. So I think that you got to satisfy both. And I think that if we hammer the new viewer with our stars, look at these, look at who we got, look who we have to offer you. But then we also make sure that the diehard is getting spoken to and we're yeah. giving them theirs. And, we're, and that's why, again, I love Bondo. Man, Bondo bringing on J-Bone to be in my yeah, role when sick. I got to go up. Instead of, instead of trying to replace me with a me, yeah. he replaced me with a dude who knows every single thing about the pits, every single thing. And to have him be talking about the team side of things, that part of the fan base was like, Yes, like I want to yeah. know. That's the stuff I want to. Like you said, you don't care about that much. But there's a block of the uh, popula- population, the fan base, that wants that side. So I love that Bondo did that. I love that it all got approved because again, we're 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 trying things. And I know people flipped out this year about the Rutledge Wood thing, which I I'm a I, fan I understand. of that. I'm, like, there's I'm this, fine with that. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't get the me freak too. Out. There, it was a I think a. a it was a little bit of a territorial thing too. And I think I was part of that problem because people assumed he was taking my job, which he, he did a little bit because he took my camera because we only have what we have. So me and Will shared, I did some of my things from uh, the jib. So I moved and they brought him in. And I think people freaked out because I'm the guy on the floor showing the ruts, talking about the, the whoops and all that stuff that they love. And then there's this new guy who came in and that wasn't his job. He was doing something completely different for a reason and I think they were like, why would they do this to us? And it's like, I just, maybe if it would have been more announced early and maybe if, even if there was like yeah. a collective, like, Hey, we're yeah. bringing in this guy cause we're going to reach a new audience. He does this. He's on the floor as lava. Maybe if we spoke to the fans and let them know what we were doing, they wouldn't have flipped out. But all of a sudden they turn on the TV and the dude on the ground with the ruts yeah. is all of a sudden replaced by the guy who is talking about the scoreboard and all these things. And they're like, what the hell? Yeah. I didn't have a problem with it at all. I was the one most affected by it. I mean, I was the one who my camera guy went with him. I had no problem with it because I knew exactly what they were trying to do. And whether it worked or not, I, I don't know if it moved the needle. But what I know it, what it proved to me is they trying something. And that matters because if, if you just don't try, you never know. And you got to try this and try that and try and dude, I, I, I applaud them for that. So I, I just hope everyone understands that everyone's different. All the roles are different. We're trying every single thing we can to make this thing better. And I think if we all collectively just got on board with it, I think it would move this thing quicker. We need to all mm. get on board and realize that we're trying things. And, and it's one round of 17 or whatever. I mean, so that, that's, I guess that's my, my piece on that is like, I, you know, the diehard fans, they need to be satisfied while also going after that new viewer and you got to find that perfect balance to be able to do both that way you don't freak out any other side you don't want to steer it towards the diehard only no one will un- the new people won't understand yeah you don't want to go after the new person only because then the diehard's like why are you shitting on me so it's like you got to do both and it's this game you got to play and that goes back to what i tried to do and I, and I think i nailed it pretty close was check the boxes of the role but spoke to the fans and let them know like I hear you. I'm talking to you. Like, I, I want you to understand this better and I'm going to say it and talk it in your terminology and I'm going to say dudes and I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to lose myself in the moment a little bit. <laughs> Shit. There's another lyric for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm going to try to balance that. And I think that if we all collectively look at every single part of the sport and find ways to just push the needle, this thing's going to blow, dude. I'm telling you it's, it's close. We got the right characters in place. Let's, do it. 
Let's push in the, the words, needle on this thing and go. It's time. In the words of Team Fried, let's go. So I want to hear a little bit. We, we just hit three hours. Um, when are you back in Cali? Damn. We could do this again. Like I feel like you could come on a bunch of Well, I'm in, I'm in. So I'm NorCal guy. <clears throat> I live yeah. in Northern California. Um, I'm about 45 minutes from Hangtown. So for everybody out there wondering where NorCal just... Hangtown. I'm right by Hangtown. Yeah. So SoCal for me is a quick flight or a quick drive. So yeah, we could we could do it any time. Or I mean, I I know those companion things you do are pretty cool too. I don't know if I can squeeze that into the night program, but dude, I'd love to talk to you on a race day or do something fun like that. Like again, just push the needle and try different things to to make it fun. And um, and we could do this again for sure. I I mean, I well, had a good time and and um, it's a quick flight, quick drive. I um I wasn't sure we we had AJ Catanzaro call in after the heat race that was pretty dope one of the Saw one that. of the ones he like he like watched the race with us and I was gonna bring it up before but um we had when you were talking about how much Jet and Hunter like fully just uh, so on board like we had Jet watch Hunter's first race uh on the like live on the podcast and. He was fucking losing it, dude. Like, just straight up, screw all the levels of fuck. We were just like, ah, whatever, let him go, who cares? But, you know, so... Let him talk. That, just, yeah. that Supercross Companion thing's pretty cool. I feel like we could have, like, a pretty legit setup. But, I mean, there's we're, we're borderline encroaching on some shit as it is, as it is with felt. Yeah. So I don't want to push too hard. <laughs> But um, but I mean that's a crazy thing. Like the first one, dude, we had sixteen thousand people watching with us. Like it was, you know, there's a lot of people all over the world that like can't watch Supercross live with VPN issues, and you know what I mean. So I don't know. That was sort of a right, just a, a fun deal. But man, I I love your commentary on the sport. I think uh, I think your vo- like your voice is so good for this sport. Like I mean, you might not be doing the crazy numbers with the podcast or whatever but i really think in time that changes man like just a a few years of doing it and i think that or like you know in a few years i think the landscape's different for for all of us like i mean i see what what this is doing and i don't think that there's any reason why everybody else like there's this should not be an outlier you know what i mean and i think that it yep. it is growing in a in a pretty crazy way. I love the voice that you've got. I love the energy that you bring. Um, it's a very unique angle. Um, yeah, so I'm a huge Daniel Blair fan. Um, and yeah, so I wanted before you go to shout out Eagle Grit a bit. Like, yep. give me the give me the elevator pitch for the people on the podcast that haven't heard about Eagle Grit. <laughs> Man, so back in that chapter again when I was doing everything right, like truck driver, construction worker, cab guy, like a buddy of mine, um, one of my best friends, he said, dude, we need to start a hand soap business. And we were both working for a company selling like grease and lubricants to farmers. Like that's, we, I, I had the job, you know, cause I had Monday through Thursday, I had to do something. So I had the job, I got him a job. He was in the other region. So he came to me with the idea and he's like, dude, hand soap, like everybody uses hand soap that all these businesses we go in, you go to a car dealership or a farm or a you know, the, the city and the state governments, like everybody, all these employees have to wash their hands. Let's do a hand soap business. And, um, he pressured me for a while. I, I thought it was silly at first that he was, he was dead on right about it. We, uh, I ended up taking a gamble on that. That was another one of those, like, Hey, dump everything I have into it through all my money, uh, into the business. And me and him just hit the ground. Like, I mean, we just, 
I mean, dude, our, our area of where we live in California, I mean, we conquered it, man. We, we have, I think almost 500 businesses that we service directly. Um, all, and now we have more products. So, um, hand cleaner, hand wipes, brake cleaner, glass cleaner. I mean, we're, we're like a, a service company. We have our own products and we go to car dealerships and we sell them all these things. And so it's like, it's, it's a routine. I have a van. I drive around every day, like delivering and selling and invoicing. We have distributors like Napa Auto Parts, Ace Hardwares that sell our stuff. Uh, and now the online stuff's going crazy. Amazon's going absolutely haywire. I, I haven't spent a dollar in advertising in years and Amazon's just, I think again, unfortunately, and I hate this, I feel guilty about it, but it took a pandemic maybe to really push our business up over the hill yeah, because we're yeah. a hand cleaner business and everybody's very conscious right now and our, and our product yeah, isn't luck, antibacterial. Bro. So it's not like it is, it's that luck. It's like, I mean, can you believe that happened after years of grinding and all of a sudden, and again, I feel guilty because I hate for the people that have really been, I mean, hit so hard by this thing. It just sucks so bad. But at the same time, I can't argue the reality of it. It's helped the business a lot. We have a hand cleaner and it's a bitching product. And, um, so yeah, anyways, you yeah, that, that's what Eagle Grid is. On that and think that clean hands have probably helped a lot of people as well. So yeah, I, I'm, that's my hope is right. Is that people will wash their hands more. And it's crazy because even some of the businesses that like their employee count went down, say they went from 50 texts to 30, their consumption has still gone up because people are washing their hands double what they used to. I mean, I don't know about you, but I do more now just naturally because I used to be grosser than I am now. Like I'm a little bit more conscious about it now. Yeah. So that's what the business is. Um, the online stuff's going like crazy. Again, I, I'm now the sole owner of the company. I purchased my partner's half out on December 31st. So January 1st, my wife and I took over the whole thing, which was an absolute nightmare, which is crazy too, because I mean, I almost quit TV this year. Like I almost quit before the season because I thought I was gonna have to make a decision. I, I had a business that there was two of us working full time, grinding it out. We needed help didn't have the help and now all of a sudden it's going to be me and my wife who's going to kind of help just be like my assistant. So my workload doubled right at the time of year when I'm gone and I'm in Dallas and Houston for a week. My wife's driving around the country, driving around the county with product in the back, dropping off deliveries at all these car dealers, all these places while my kids are on Zoom in the back doing their school while I'm in Houston doing TV on a Tuesday night. Like we made it work. It was the four craziest months. The business for whatever reason, just to make it harder on me, exploded this year. Like it, our numbers are up like crazy. And it's all happened at the same time that I just gave everything I could towards my TV career to try to get it up over the hill. And then as soon as round 17 was done and I got to go home, it was like the most re relieving feeling ever because now I can like get my routine. I can run my business the way I want to because for four months, dude, I was doggy paddling in the middle of the ocean. Just, yeah. dude, there were days on a Tuesday where I was on the phone in between race day live and the broadcast talking to a customer who may have gotten the wrong product. And I'm, I'm sorry, I, my wife grabbed the wrong one. I told her the wrong thing. She'll be there tomorrow. My apologies because I wanted to save the account. I don't want the account mad at me. Like it was so gnarly but it worked. Like, again, I, I had to make a gut call in January. Like, are you going to, are you going to be able to pull this off? And I really didn't think I was gonna, I mean, dude, I'm being completely open and honest with you. I even wrote a resignation email. I was just, I wasn't going to be able to do it. I had to make a decision and I was like, okay, I'm going to do the business. I invested a lot of money. I had to borrow and loan and I dumped everything to buy this thing for my partner. And it can't fail. Cause if I fail, other people are going to fail hard because of the money I borrowed. 
So I was like, dude, I, this, this TV career might just have to be to an end. This is, this is that stop sign that I've known was coming. I'm going to have to choose one or the other. And I was going to do it. And my wife was like, just go to Houston, just go to Houston and do the first one. And I will make up the difference. And after Houston, I was like, okay, we did it. Like, what do you think now? She's like, okay, go to Indy. And Indy was a bad one. Like, it's like the, it's like everything exploded that week. The web orders went crazy. My wife is literally working like all day. I'm working on the phone. So at like for the first half of the season, dude, I was on thin ice of even being able to pull it off. I thought I was going to quit. I mean, the, the email was in my outbox wait or in my, whatever, my draft box waiting to be like, guys, I am so sorry, but I have to choose the business because I have other people involved and I, it, it can't fail. I invested way too much. I'm, I'm, I'm too financially in on this thing. I can't do it anymore. And somehow just again, like fate, it just kept being okay. Just enough, just enough, just enough. And then all of a sudden the whole process of the booth thing popped up and it's like, Hey, we got a situation. There's a chance you might be able to have this shot. And I'm like, wow, seven years I've been working at this thing. I'm ready to quit right now because I, I, my wife is like having an anxiety attack at home and boom, it all happens. And I get an audition. I get to go in with Ricky, a little tryout and make it and, you know, and sends tape over to NBC and Feld to make sure that they're okay, that I could do it. And then I wait for a month and I'm like this whole month. I'm just like, holy crap. Like I'm barely holding on, barely holding on. And then boom, you're getting your shot. It's in a week. Let's go. And I just buckled down, nailed it. Round 17, nailed it, flew home. And now my wife and I are just, if we're still working hard, but dude, we made it. And the business is exploding on my lap. Every March was my biggest month. April is the biggest. May is the biggest. June, I was today, I was doing some work kind of pre kind of seeing what's coming up this month. June's going to break the record. Every month is breaking the record. And just to think like back in December, that thing almost failed. TV almost, they both almost were like ready to collapse at the same time and both made it. And it goes back to all those suffering nights for seven years, dude. It was like, the, it was like no way I was going to fail because I, I put too much in and somehow like magic, it worked and made it. And now, dude, it's like life's different. Life today on whatever day this is, is so different than it's been for 38 years. It's like, fuck, dude, made it. Man, I, I fucking love it, dude. I just, for whatever reason that whole like human victory is the fucking best thing in the world for me i just i i love the success that you've had i love the you know the way that you kind of battled through um with the business and to hear your story about you know being with your wife for 20 years and and the family that you built like yeah hats off to you man honestly and a lot of times people um would feel even a little bit guilty to to say like we made it we did it it worked you know but people should be able to celebrate that and acknowledge the work paying off and and that shouldn't feel bad to you it shouldn't feel bad to anybody else man like fucking good on you good on your wife good on your kids like it's a it's a great story dude of uh you know of just charging through when when it really looks like that's not an option anymore so man couldn't couldn't be more happy for you i've only we've only had this three hour combo but um yeah su- just super happy for you man thank you so much man i appreciate it and thanks for having me on and uh it's been fun to talk to you i knew we'd have a good talk i've 
I like the way you do things. So I figured we'd have some fun here and we'd explore some stuff. So uh, it was awesome. Thanks again for having me on the show and uh, we'll do it again for sure. Yeah, man, I'd love to. When it, Just you let me know like when you're like if you've got trips coming up, um, this setup is going to improve um hopefully over over the next couple of months but um yeah honestly man you are welcome anytime um i love getting to to talk soupy and you know like ways to kind of improve the sport and man you got some fantastic ideas as well and the fact that you're so close to people that can implement those ideas like that is a good thing as well hope so fingers crossed for uh next year's round one press conference Fingers crossed that some things are able to happen. I'll just, I'll tease y'all with that. We, there's some ideas floating around how to make that thing pretty damn special. So uh, just uh, everybody out there, keep your fingers crossed that we pulled this off because I think there's something cool brewing. And if it happens, dude, it's, it's a big step in the direction that we're talking about. So 